YouTubers and friends, welcome to another episode of Tuesday Night Live. Uh, we have a return guest with us again this week, uh, Chris. Oh, I'm going to butcher his last name. Uh, Bogusus. <clears throat> um, and you all know him from Bogus Prospecting. So do me a favor. Don't go away, because we'll be right back. Hey, YouTubers and friends. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Tuesday Night Hangout Live with Toledo Jess. Gano, the Treasure Vixens, and I. That's the first trim season and just kind of go into uh, the snowplow. But that's easier said than done for uh, somebody who sits in an office and dispatches. So in where I am right watch now, out. he's coming put you on. Summer. Watch what you say. Watch what you say. He's done put you on, didn't say nothing. Oh, you sneaky! What I was going to say was the the amazing. The, I've got to finish this sentence, otherwise it's just not going to leave my head. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> What's amazing? Rose talking about. Um, oh, I, I can't wait for snowplow season, and and I'm coming into summer where our roads turn to liquid and melt. And, <laughs> and what's snow? <laughs> yeah, we're just coming into ours. We just got our first uh, measurable snow last couple days here in Ohio. So, yay, winter's here. Yeah. <laughs> one day, the, one bucket list thing in my life is to make a snowman. I'm yet to do that. One day. One day. You don't, you don't get snow where you're at? Oh, we do, but it's about three and a half hours away, and it's like this big compared oh. to. <laughs> Everybody yeah. goes takes pictures of it and stuff. No, really, like legit. You see snow. There's a max exodus from cities and towns all across Australia. If there's snow on a nearby hill, it's like we're gonna go check out the funny, cold, frozen water. <laughs> yeah, because I, I guess a trip over to the South Island to New Zealand isn't even a real short hop for you guys is it? it's quite the oh trip. no because it takes us three and a half hours to drive to melbourne and then it takes three hours to fly to new zealand so it actually takes less time to fly there you'll probably spend more time in the airport and security than you would flying to new zealand but it's the trip the landmass here is so big and so sparsely populated that any trip takes forever it just takes fit if i want to see my dad it's almost a four-hour drive so wow uh, yeah. So um, let's say hi to our our chat room because they're they're just as important as Chris. Well, there's Nikki yeah. just popped in. Hey, Nikki. Nikki. Yeah, and you were on Nikki's Tuesday show a couple I was. ago. Right. I was. I was. That was a good show. I actually really enjoyed that. She um she opened my eyes to what the possibilities were for streaming on Facebook. I was like, oh my god, this is awesome. Oh, right. I see Snorkel Pirates is in there. Miss Laurel, Ron F, what's up? Hey, what up, Ron F? Flower yeah. gold wizards in the house. Oh, flower gold wizards. Man, Flower Gold, you're on my channel all the time. Yeah, <laughs> Jason the Mason, good guy. Jason, oh, there's Jason all this, Colorado. There's all this. 
Hey, what's up, Otis? Victoria uh, from Victoria's Oregon or Bus. What's going on, girl? Ricky. Hey, Ricky. I did the smart thing and actually pulled up the chat so I can read it too. Hey, yeah. hey. Well, yes, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> JL, how are you? Thunder Bay, Canada. Welcome. And oh. we had a new member join us tonight from Wisconsin. Um, Charles, Charles Mueller. Welcome, welcome to the flag. Welcome, Charles. Yes, welcome. Charles is from my channel, I believe. Oh, yeah, right cool. On. I've seen him right. pop up a whole heap. Excellent. Well, hey, Focus Prospecting's here. We're Joseph. Hey. Rickner. How are you? Long time no see there, Vogus. Yeah. But we did it. Ah, oh, Matty Hand. Welcome, bro. Beefy Prepper. The gold digger. Yeah. Welcome. Moto hey, Al Cooper. Moto. Raven and Skipper Rock. Good to see Raven. you. Raven. I haven't seen Skipper Rock. Rock. Um, Man, we've got heaps of people here. Yeah, must be you. <laughs> <laughs> nah, they're all going to be coming for Rose. You don't want to look at me. Uh, <laughs> She's a draw card. You're like, ah, look at this. Right. <laughs> well, I hate to take this off our guests, but Rose. Oh, there's Grotty. I'm, I'm very proud of you and your last live stream, girl. You and Angela hey, had many, what, I saw 89 people in there at one time that oh, I saw, yeah. and doing a good job. Thank you nice. so much. Oh, you know, hey, before I forget, Rose, when on your last video, you were, you were, or was it the live stream, you are talking about, um, Want to go gems and stuff, right? Mm -hmm. You know, do you know that on the uh, Illinois and uh, is it Arkansas, Arkansas border, right? Don't you guys butt up against Arkansas? Uh huh. Yeah, on the border, there's a, there's a, a a mine there where you can find thunder eggs. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. I've even uh, googled areas like in maybe it's because I stuck with Illinois as the search. Right. And, and didn't really have a lot of luck, but that's not, I mean, heck yeah. I, I tell you, I tell you who to look up uh, is um, the, 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 oh. Uh, you know who I'm talking to about, that guy. Dynamine uh, and Ivan? No, no, not, not, not him. The Crystal Collector. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes all Go over. His videos, one of his videos, he talks about uh, a big outing there at Thunder Egg outing okay. and, and cracking open big monster and that's what they find there. It's a pay to dig area. So there's another spot for you to look. Thanks, yeah. Jeff. I appreciate it. Sounds like a Flash Fam fun day. We need yeah. to do that way anyway. That's kind of why I look at that. Uh, that's not that far away. No. Yeah, that's really, yeah, it's a hop, skip, and a jump of right. about everybody. Right, right. We could meet up for it. We could even get some people from the south to come on up. You know what I'm saying? Do a big, a big thing. Yeah. Go thunder egg hunting. I'm in. Cool. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. You got some Pokemon. <laughs> so, uh, have at it, Rose. 
Oh, okay, guys. <clears throat> so remember, we lumped you with the responsibility. Well, yeah, and well, uh, and I, you uh, at least piqued my interest because in the pre-show we were talking about um, pans that you could use, and Jess and I had talked in the past about how, with my limited experience, I was interested in trying out the Gold Claw, but you recommended a different pan. Uh, I can't remember the name, but I'd like to know why. Okay, all right. So I have been in the position where, how should we start? Story time. <laughs> start from the beginning, Chris. That's a good idea. Okay, first things first. I was taught by a guy who immigrated to Australia purely to hunt gold. That's why he came here. So he came over, he was an engineer, a software engineer and a um, mechanical engineer. He worked for big tech firms and whatnot all through like the 80s and, and the 90s and whatnot. And in that time that he was doing that, he used it to fund buying a house in El Dorado. Now, El Dorado is an incredibly rich alluvial gold stream here in Australia. So it's called Reedy Creek, the town's El Dorado. Now, this guy taught me pretty much everything I know. And he, he spent a lot of time with me just going... He's, he's an eccentric type too, right? So it took a lot of deciphering for what he was telling me. But but the, his knowledge was born of a lifetime of gold prospecting. So it was his whole dream. It's his passion, right? He's, I have seen him go to the creek with nothing but a normal gold pan, a shovel and a snuffer bottle and come back with an ounce from these streams. Now, most people are flat out getting a couple of grams with a high banker in that creek. And he knows where it is. He understands it and, and he can do that with a pan. Like it's unreal. What he taught me was fundamentally the, the basics of gold pans. I got, I'm trying to get the words right here. A gold pan should be kept really simple. It doesn't need to be complicated. It doesn't, right? Because you're relying on two things, which is stratification and um, and density of your material. So stratification is the process of leveling all the materials into their various weights or their various densities. And you're relying on the fact that gold and gems are the two heaviest things in your pan and they should go to the bottom unless you get a nail or a bit of mercury or whatever. Now, through that, I've always viewed any piece of equipment uh, that I use, whether it be a sluice or a pan, with that outlook. Does it stratify or does it allow for stratification properly? And will it retain those heavy materials? So how does it capture? So what is the trick for it to, to stop that gold from exiting your pan and going back into the stream. A regular gold pan that we think's regular is uh, the, the flat bottom pan. So Garrett, Mine Lab, the cheap black plastic pans you can get, they're all exactly the same design with slight variations, right? They're flat bottoms, they've got a angled wall and some kind of riffle system on it. Those pans are only used in North America, England, and Australia. And now they've started somewhat to permeate into other countries to, to varying degrees. But they... What, what we're not taught 
in in the West is that most other countries use a type of pan called a batea pan. So it's B-E-T-E-A. That's how it's spelled, batea pan. Those pans are used the world round. Every country that's got gold in it outside of those sort of Western countries uses these pans and they're old. They're like 4,000 years old. They've found these gold pans back with the Mayas and stuff. Now, these pans are really, really, really simple. The principle remains the same. It allows for easy stratification because they're, they're big, right? They're, they're probably oh, two and a half foot wide, but they've got a really shallow curve that comes to a point. And the idea for the stratification is that all the gold sinks to this cone point at the bottom. Now, it actually inadvertently takes a principle from industrial mining, which is friction. So one of the big things that keeps gold in your pan and in a sluice box, especially in industrial mining, is friction. Gold is often much smaller than the heavies that come along with it, like ironstone, black sand, that sort of stuff. That black sand and ironstone is heavy and dense and causes a heap of friction, but it's lighter than gold. So it actually sits on top of the gold in the pan. On a flat bottom pan, you don't have enough heavies to cover the gold. So what happens is any gold that's outside of those um, collections of heavy material has the ability to ride on the lights and fall out of your pan. Anything that's underneath that heavy dense material has so much friction and weight on top of it, it can't move. So you're not going to lose it. The Batea pan concentrates it in a point. So it always has heavy dense um, pieces of material on top of it and it doesn't allow for that gold to come up through and out of your pan it physically can't do it because it's got all this weight on top of it now that those pans were they, that the batea pan was actually one of the very first gold pans used in the 49 gold rush um, in california and they've got it in a museum because you can make them out of almost anything it doesn't matter as long as you can make a cone so you can literally fold a piece of paper into a cone as long as it was like coated in wax or something you could probably use it as one of these pans they're they're simple in their method you're just using centrifugal force to blow off this off the lights so you shake it side to side everything settles to the bottom and then you gently start swirling it in a circle and as you swirl it in the circle all the material gains momentum and the lights are picked up and blown out of the pan all the heavies again because of that weight and that friction are stuck down the bottom they physically cannot leave that pan it's really hard to blow gold out of so you'll spin it around when you stop all that you'll be left with in the bottom is maybe a teaspoon of heavy dense material and all of your gold and you tip it into a bucket and take it home and process it with just a normal little flat bottom pan. Those pans are good. If I had my time again, I would not use a regular, I wouldn't have learned originally on a regular pan and I never would have bought a river sluice because they are faster. I can move about seven liters of dirt in under two minutes with one of those, with one of those pans. So that's almost an entire bucket of dirt in, in one hit. It's so much faster than river sluicing. Now, that's not to say that other pans don't have their place. So the Batea pans come in varying sizes and you need to pick a size that you can physically handle because of the weight, right? So once it's in the water, it's fine. The, the pan takes most of the weight for you by floating in the water, but carrying it to the creek or the river is where the issue will come if you've got a big pan. 
So you need to have a, um, you, you need to pick the right size to fit your physical capabilities. And that's where other pans come in handy. So a regular Garrett flat bottom pan or, or a mind lab pan, um, they have their places for sure. The other thing to keep in mind is pans that have reinvented the wheel <laughs> so now we're going to get really specific here and, and i have to say this straight up i am not having a go at any of these pans but but i'm it's it's my belief system that things should always be kept simple because simple things simple products have far less to go wrong with them and usually the learning curve isn't as steep so the potato pan there's two steps Shake side to side to stratify, put it under the water and spin it in circles till all the dirt's gone. That's it. <laughs> Two steps. You don't have to do anything else. Almost every other pan has multiple stages. So with your regular flat bottom pans, you'll shake side to side, you'll tip it forward, and then you'll wash a little bit off the top, and then you'll have to put it back down, shake it side to side to stratify again. And the reason we have to do that tilt, remove material, stratify, tilt, remove material, stratify process again and again and again is because of those heavies I was talking about earlier. You're trying to get all the gold under the heavies. That's what you're actually trying to do, but it's not easy to do that. So that's, that process slows you down, that tilt, stratify, tilt, stratify, tilt, stratify. Every single time, you, if you don't do that, you're going to lose gold. You're going to lose a significant proportion of your gold. Then you've got pans like the Gold Claw. Now the Gold Claw is really good for people who are just starting out yeah. and they wanna have a go at, at, at finding a bit of gold and they don't need to think about it too much, but they do have a lot of loss. Now I have run the loss tests and I have run, um, I've talked to Clint about his products and I, I've talked to other YouTubers who use their products. We came to the conclusion that the gold course is people who you might have a friend out on the creek with you this day and you want them to be able to find some gold and have some fun. They've never done it before. Whack a gold claw in their hand. They are not going to stuff it up. It's really simple to wrap your head around. Even though there are more steps to it, it's easy to get. It's a lot easier than learning how to pan with a flat bottom pan. Um, or it's good for people who might have physical limitations or space limitations, things like that, where you need to fit a small compact pan into a backpack to go on a long hike and you're doing other things. Maybe you're traveling around the country and you don't have enough room in your car or your truck for like a full-size kit. You could put a gold claw in it. If you've got shoulder problems, that sort of stuff, these sort of pans are good. But the claim, and this is why, again, I think the potato pan is so good, the claim that it's faster than a regular pan, I've personally found not to be true. I can pan faster with a flat bottom pan than I can with a gold core pan in terms of volume. So it's always about volume. Um, those, those pans hold such a little amount of dirt, it's hard to actually get a really good, accurate idea of what kind of gold is in the ground itself. So I would, I'd be having to do two to three pans in a gold claw just to get the equivalent of like one garret pan and then on the potato pan that if i could do like two garret pans in that one potato pan i really know what's going on like what heavies are in there what gems are in there what kind of gold's in there and then it comes back full circle so whilst it's easy to whack one of those gold claws in someone's hand and say hey you've never done this before but i want you to have a crack at it I want you to have a go and I want you to have a feel. 
it's just as easy to whack a batea pan in the hand and say, hey, you're going to get a huge amount of gold. All you got to do is spin this thing in circles. That's it. <laughs> so I recommend the batea pan for anyone who's just starting out. And this comes with a little disclaimer, provided you have enough water because they do need a fair amount of water to be able to submerge and spin. Like at the moment in summer, I've had to go back to a flat bottom pan because of that. Um, yeah. So I hope they, hopefully that answers your question. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I got a great picture of it. Although I, it's funny, I almost thought about Googling it to look at it. Cause I, I wonder if what I've built up in my mind even resembles what you're do talking it. about, but I'll do it, do it, it Google out. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you should, because the, um, it's so different to for us in the West to wrap our heads around this piece of technology. Uh, like I've akin it to a flat bottom pan. So a Garrett super sluice, a Garrett super sluice is the equivalent of a bike with training wheels on it compared to the potato pan, because that's what the riffles are there for, right? The riffles are there for us to catch the gold and we, and concentrate those heavies and put the gold underneath those heavies, right? That's what the riffles are there for. Um, but the potato pan says, you don't need riffles. We're just going to put it at the bottom of the pan. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. And it can't go anywhere. You know, that does seem, that does seem uh, very, very helpful. So I'm just going to move us into the next question, unless anybody else wanted to chime in. No, go ahead. Okay. So it, well, I'm just going to bring up with what we were talking about in the beginning of the chat. Let's go back to the basics. Let's go back to when you started. Did you start YouTube first or Facebook first? Uh, yeah, so I've had a long, illustrious career on social media. Yeah. <laughs> uh, be before this, I was an archery coach. So I was teaching. Um, I had my own range. I was doing corporate gigs. So we'd take... Um, groups like we had the Australian army we had uh big banking corporations here in Australia we had small businesses from various towns come to my uh range for team building days so that was our primary focus for business but my passion was teaching athletes and I was teaching uh primarily uh, younger athletes so sort of in their mid-teens to late teens on getting better at their at their craft so we could take it to uh, uh state national and international levels and what i found was um a big passion for spreading that teaching and social media was the way to do it so we created a facebook page and a youtube channel for the archery and it's all still up but Good luck finding it. We're going to leave that as a little treasure hunt. <laughs> I found it. I found oh, it. Don't you dare share that, Ed. <laughs> I'll come over there. I'll give you a spank and I'll tell you what. <laughs> but so those videos are embarrassing, right? Because it was my first uh, sorte into, sure. into doing it. And that was sort of back towards 2010 um, in that area. And I ended up running a digital magazine for archery, uh, created it, built that up, sold that as a business. And then what happened was I, I probably a separate question, but basically I, I had developed pretty severe PTSD symptoms at the end of 2016. And I had after the, after 
my PTSD symptoms got too much. I ended up selling the range because what I, I didn't want was to become a danger to, to people in terms of, um, you know, taking a school group in and just not being attentive or, or something similar to that and not being able to put 110%. In. So I sold the range, I sold the business, sold the magazine, and I was just at a really low point, right? Because by this stage, I'd like lost my business, my house, my wife, like just the whole lot. It had all gone pear-shaped. And that's what we were talking about in the pre-show, which was um, Grizzly ended up saving my life from suicide at that point. And after he did that, it was a few months later that I had, I had 300 bucks in my bank account. And I'd always sort of been involved in a level of filmmaking and production and creativity i wasn't very good at it because i never really focused on it it had always been for me it had always been archery and, and that sort of stuff and so i i walked into the shop one day and there was a gopro on the shelf that they were getting rid of and it was on sale for like 270 dollars or something and i remember looking at it and i was just like it's my last 300 bucks fuck it i'm buying it like <laughs> I'm doing this so I bought it and I didn't know what I was going to film I had no idea what I was going to film and at the start I was going around and filming hiking trips that I was doing to try and get back into the bush and I was filming some of the other stuff like building uh, bows and arrows and I was filming just sort of more vlog style stuff so geocaching and stuff I had no idea what I was doing in the back of my head I was like oh it'd be cool to put these on YouTube so started a started the channel which was originally called backcountry trekking and i was putting these camping videos and stuff up on them and that's when the guy that taught me about gold prospecting sort of intervened and he took me out of i was at the time i was sleeping on the floor of an abandoned building and he took me out of there and he was uh he showed me how to gold prospect and i thought well this is i said to him this is fantastic like you're literally digging money out of the ground and there's someone who's sleeping on a floor of an abandoned building. That's pretty, that's pretty sweet. Right. Like, oh, so, yeah. So, so I started, I started, um, filming my gold prospecting adventures and at the start I had no idea what I was doing. Right. Like, so D Derek had shown me, um, he'd shown me what to do and my understanding at the time, I'm still, you got to remember I'm still in the depths of PTSD, like the worst possible emotions every day. And it's, it was really hard to even get up out of bed to have breakfast, yet alone think about how to find gold. Right. It seemed like a very big jump and a big learning curve. And so when I started filming these videos and putting them up on my channel and just being like, oh yeah, this is what I'm doing. I started joining a few Facebook uh, groups about gold prospecting and just, there was no answers out there. Like you would Google something like how to find gold and people would be like, check on the inside bend. So you go to an inside bend, you dig and you wouldn't find anything. And you're like, what? like what's going on? Like everyone's telling me to do this and it's not working. So there was no, there was no, answers for things that I wanted answers to and I think this came back to my archery coaching which was I was used to conveying very complex information to people in a way that they could understand and we're not just talking one person that I'm coaching we're talking about 600 a week 700 people a week for school groups and all that sort of stuff and I've got to come up with a method of teaching people how to do it so they understand it and there's a big difference between knowledge and understanding it's something that gets glossed over a lot. So, you know, you can know something, but not understand it whatsoever. So talking, talking to you, Rose, and saying something like, 
a batea pan stratification friction right like you probably all just go straight over your head but once once you start understanding some of those principles it clicks and when it clicks it makes more sense so that's what i was looking for online and there wasn't anything there was nothing that made me click so i just started filming me answering my own questions <laughs> i was like i was like well where's the bloody gold so i started digging everywhere and i started putting the pieces of the puzzle together like oh i found gold here why did i find gold here but i didn't find it over there oh is there anything else in the environment that was going on now where's the gold coming from how do i find bigger pieces of gold where where should i be looking for research and it took years but filming that adventure filming those years of research, filming those years of understanding and putting it on YouTube, people clicked with it. I think that, that it was, um, it was also what they were looking for. They weren't looking for knowledge. They were looking for understanding and these, because I was hunting for that same sort of thing, people clicked into it and took that on board. And that worked. like you said, easy to understand, hmm. uh, explanations for people who, who literally have no idea what they're doing well you know yeah exactly you know what really annoys me is we've got books in australia by an author called doug stone now i don't know if you guys have heard of him in the states but doug stone's a pretty famous prospector here in australia and he's written a whole bunch of books on how to find gold but you read his books and there's no information in them there's very little information in them there's a lot of big words there's some maps which look pretty cool. Yeah. I like your book. Yeah, well, that's that was I wrote that book with that in mind, right? I was like, if I'd been given this day one, if I'd been given a guide day one, what would I really want to know? And the the concept for me was put the knowledge that people need to know that they can tuck in their backpack and in five seconds flip to the right page, read it, and be like, I should check there in the stream. I've got it. I understand now. And that that conveyance of information, that, that sharing of information is so important, right? So like Doug Stone's books, man, they look cool. They're flashy. The maps are sweet. If you understand ge geological terms, they're brilliant, right? right? But most people don't know what an imbricated stream bread is. Do you know what an imbricated stream bed is? No. <laughs> like, Jeff Williams. Yeah, exactly. No, but that's that's exactly right. So there's other YouTubers as well. Like I love Ask Jeff Williams in terms of his geological knowledge, sitting down and watching those things is unreal. But I've also had the benefit now of years and years and years of practice of, right. of, of learning those terms and starting to understand them. So I can watch his videos and extract as much information out of them as possible. But most people sitting down who are just getting into it, or maybe you've been doing it for a couple of years, aren't going to have the foggiest clue what the difference between like hematite and calcopyrite is. Yeah. No, no idea. Oh, right. But if you come up to someone and you say, dig in the white, not the red, <laughs> it makes a lot more sense all of a sudden. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so, and that's sort of knowledge I try and share. Like I cop hell for it online because people will come in and they, I had this guy saying, um, I, I teach people bad geology. And I said, I've never taught geology. I've just taught people how to find gold. And there's a vast difference between that. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not into minerals. I'm not, I don't, I don't care if it's calcopyrite or 
you know, some other kind of oxidized layer. I don't care. It doesn't make a difference to me. I just want to know where the gold is. And the way we do that is experimenting and then sharing that knowledge. So, hey, look, we're testing here, here, here. These are the results from those three. This is what we can summarize from those three tests. You go out and try it. And, then it and that. Opens, yeah, so that opens up the opportunity then. So if you want to learn further about the other things, if you want, you know, it, it opens up the doors to for you to choose where you want to go and what you're going to learn. 100% and, and like I've got a I've got a good friend of mine who was a subscriber he kept emailing me until I met him and, and um, he's, a, he's a career geologist so his job was exploration geology he traveled the world he lived in South Africa in Germany and Australia he established four gold mines and two uranium mines um, industrial scale we're talking 16 million ounces or something of gold um his four gold mines have produced so far uh and he looked at me one day on the creek and he goes i've learned more about finding gold in the last six months with you than i ever did in my career because we always looked at it from an academic standpoint and right. never just using this really fundamental systematic um, um methodical approach to testing and understanding and then yeah if you want to learn more about geology, if you want to learn more about that sort of stuff, you can, by all means, do it. And it will help you. Yeah, so that's, and yeah. When, you, when you give that option, you know, meeting these guys here and flash, flashing his hand, you know, it started off with just panning for gold, which then led to, well, maybe you can find a diamond in there. Maybe you can find a, yeah. a buoy in there. And then that led into, you know, learning about pay dirt and pay dirt, have, you know, gemstones and so on and so forth. So yeah. when you keep it fun and light for somebody who's looking for the first time or, or yeah. trying to figure things out for the first time, you really do have to keep it simple because the more overwhelming it gets, the more anxiety you get. And then you're like, oh, I don't even, I'm not even going to try. I'm not even going to bother. A hundred percent. That's yeah. exactly right. S. Yeah, keep keep it simple, stupid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is this is the thing, right? This comes from my archery coaching, which was that, and this actually probably goes back to the pans as well. So two things on this. The first thing is that most people that came to my range just wanted to have a little bit of fun. They wanted to come in with Jill and Bob, their two 10-year-old kids, yeah. and the mom and the dad had been out at a winery, and they just wanted to spend an hour doing something fun. And so I put a bow in their hands. I taught them a very simple, basic method of shooting a bow and arrow that would make sure that they hit the target 80 90% of the time. Some of them would even go in the middle, and they had a really, really good time. Same goes for gold prospecting. I teach a method that will put you onto the gold. If you not, if you, and for most people, that's enough. If you can walk away with half a gram, that's a great day for some people. A gram, that's a fantastic day for some people, uh, especially now with the laws the way they are and, and limited equipment. If you're pulling those sort of numbers with a pan or a stream sluice, then you're doing really good. You know, in Australia, we can't do things like dredging. So some people don't understand, especially in the States and Canada and whatnot, where they can do it, that, you know, I find a gram in a day from high banking and I've only moved a meter of dirt. They're like, that's terrible. It's like, yeah, well, I don't have a six inch dredge sucking up seven, eight meters of dirt, do I? I'm, I'm shoveling this by hand. <laughs> so so um, that, that methodology of me teaching them something very simple to get on the gold, 
find it and enjoy it is great. If they want to take that further and look at it from a point of view of industrial mining or small scale mining that they want to get into, they can do that because the same principles apply, but it's just thinking in bigger numbers and bigger pieces of machinery. On the equipment side of it, that KISS principle, that the, uh, the archery principle that I talked about, gear should always be simple. I was teaching people that were coming in with three and a half thousand dollar bows and thousand dollar sets of arrows and like just ridiculous amounts of money spent on this equipment that was super fancy. And if you put that equipment in the hands of an Olympian, oh, beautiful, right? But you're an amateur archer that can't draw the bowstring back properly yet. And I need to teach you that. And you can't handle this piece of equipment. We need to put you onto something simple. We need to put you on something that has always worked since like 1500, this thing has worked. <laughs> like, yeah, like, so we are, it's the same thing with um, gold pans and whatnot. You see all these different types of pans and all these ideas and stuff. And if they just keep it simple, you'll learn better. You'll learn better. You'll, you'll learn to appreciate um how simple finding gold actually is or recovering it should i say in the pan it's very simple it takes a little bit of practice a little bit of determination and if you're shown the right way then no issues whatsoever so um mark miller we had somebody ask a question here mark miller and i'm gonna i'm gonna rephrase it just a little bit given that you had no laws or restrictions what would your um, favorite equipment, what was your favorite way to mine, sleuth, high bank, pan? What would you choose if you had any option in the world? Oh. <laughs> um, 35 pound gold magnet. It's, it, you know, it's really interesting. It's not the, it's not the quantity of gold that I find that interests me. It's, uh, it's, it's the warm fuzzy feeling I get after a day out that has been good. And sometimes those good days mean that I might get a 0.1. And sometimes those good days might mean I get four or five grams. Um, so the method isn't as important. I think I'm more interested if I could use any method, I would, I would take a time machine back to like 1851 before the gold rush here where I am. And I would go to some of the creeks I work currently and I would use a high banker and I would do it purely to actually see if some of my theories are right not for the quantity of gold if that was my i would i love high banking i love the process of feeding dirt through a high banker and seeing it work and and getting it right and tuning it in and all that it's just like this little steam engine i get to tweak and fiddle with so that's what i would love to do because i've got so many theories regarding um virgin ground and pockets of virgin ground that i've found and and whatnot and i just want to know some of the answers to the questions i have regarding it and the best way i could do that would be to run a couple of meters of it through my high banker and yeah that's it that's what i do see 
I think a lot of people will go for like, oh, it's illegal to dredge in Australia, so I would go dredging, or it's illegal to stream sluice in Canada, so I would use a stream sluice. But just because it's illegal, I don't think would bring me joy. I think it right. would be, I think it'd be more about getting that knowledge that we we're talking about earlier. Yeah. So, I like um, the idea. I, I like the idea of a uh, time machine. Yeah. That's a good piece of yeah. equipment. <laughs> hey, you said any piece of equipment, right? Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> Nikki said something. There was a question in chat about a drop bear, but I'm not seeing it, Nikki. They didn't tag me in it. So I'm looking for this drop gear question. I just put up a um I just put up a warning thing in my latest video about drop yeah, I saw that. A pretty full on season yeah. out here. And I saw you broke out the old school rocker box again. Yeah, boy. <laughs> I, I think I mentioned on your video two, three years ago about, oh, I'm going to do that project in my shed. I, yep. I still want to, but I have yet done it. <laughs> <laughs> look, it's not up to me to remind you every five or ten years. You can do it in your own time. <laughs> <laughs> what? That's funny. So, um, let's uh, let's talk about a pet peeve. Do you have anything that drives you crazy? Uh, whether it be people asking questions on your show or using pieces of equipment wrong, and you want to correct them. I, again, this comes back to the archery coaching stuff. I have never seen someone use a piece of equipment and thought, "Geez, I wish I could like fix that." I understand that everyone's everyone's at where they're at when it comes to using equipment. What we were talking about earlier um, with Jess, he said that he believes that all pieces of equipment have a learning curve and it's about how you use that tool, right? It's not, it's not the piece of equipment necessarily. Necessarily, I say that with an asterisk because I know there are some good pieces of gold prospecting equipment that are not worth the, <laughs> the money or the time in using, but um yeah you should never don't compare yourself to where others are at because we're all on a different timeline and as long as you're always progressing forward with the idea of improving your technique and improving how you use that piece of equipment you'll do fine so don't worry about where you're up to at that stage just just go with it keep working on it stay humble and move forward and you'll be wherever you want to be soon enough don't you don't have to um yeah, you don't have to compare yourself up or down to someone else. It's a stupid way of looking at it and it will only cause you misery. Okay, <laughs> um, sure. But the the pet peeve in terms of comments, oh, man, so many, so many, <laughs> so many. I think the biggest one that gets to me all the time is, is about money, right? None of us doing this, none of this doing, none of us, right? Yeah, right. I out here getting rich off amateur gold mining. Mm -hmm. I'm not a small scale miner, man. I'm a mic I'm a micro miner yeah. that that majors in prospecting, which is looking for gold. I've found deposits that are really rich. I have found that I I know they are. You can work this off really basic maths, even just without looking at any mining reports, looking at anything else like that. Just just the TV show Gold Rush. Parker says he's running 600 meters of dirt an hour through his sluices. 
And when he shuts down for an hour, it costs him about two ounces, right? That's what they say. So we know the maths for how much they're getting per meter. And it works out to be like $8 a meter is what they're getting. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm working ground with my high banker that's about $150 to $200 a meter. So it's super rich. But you can't put an industrial mine there because they're wildlife areas, right? And they're, they're areas that are, are now protected because they don't want the environment completely decimated by a big industrial mine. You can't put mining leases on them. You can't do anything like that. All you can do is go there with a pan and a high banker and you can move a meter of dirt a day and that's it. That's all you're allowed to do. Yeah. So, so what gets me is when people write, um, what gets me? <laughs> What gets me is people come on and go, two guys, five hours work, and you only made 150 bucks. Hardly seems worth it. <laughs> oh. yeah, if you think about it monetarily wise, you spent five times that just getting there. Mm -hmm. I, I say it's, it's a hobby that offers cash back. So it's right. like going to the shops and buying something that gives you $50 back. So I go to, I go to the creek and I spend, I, I live close to the gold field, so I might spend $5 on petrol to get, like, to drive there. And I might spend $1.50 on petrol for my pump. And let's say there's 10 bucks worth of wear on all my gear, and then I might spend another 20 bucks on food and drink for the day, yep. and I'm down the whole 60 bucks, 70 yep. bucks, right? And I dig 40 bucks of gold out of the ground winner right i just made 40 <laughs> bucks back i just made 60 yeah. percent of my money back yeah. like that right but and the real gold the, is the company you may be with hmm. being oh, out yeah. in the bush okay, yeah. being on the river which is exactly that creation put there and no one has seen it yet but you that's exactly right that's like so that's what gets to me that's that's the the biggest one that annoys me so deeply and i don't know why it's just because <laughs> maybe it's because because of what i explained before how i got into this was recovering through ptsd and, and so for me the value of it like town one a big trigger for me is town noise so cars traffic lights especially like kids being loud um things like that that sort of noise for me is really quite invasive but the bush isn't i can be out there and have cockatoos and magpies and flies and snakes and all the other bull crap that comes along with this australian bush and for me that's peaceful that's very relaxing and so my value that's like if we want to talk money that's like going and spending 150 dollars on a therapist when I could just go to the bush and do yeah. that and chill out for five hours and come back in the next three days, I'm good. I feel I feel nice. I've been out in the bush. I've been having a good time. I went and found some gold. I got some exercise. I socialized. I, I did everything you're meant to do to recover from things like depression, PTSD, anxiety. Yeah. And it didn't cost me anything. Like, oh, if yeah, anything, so you, it oh, paid yeah, me. I'll, I'll take yeah. the increase <laughs> you save 460 bucks by not going to a therapist for five hours that's right that's it, right creek therapy creek therapy. Yeah, creek therapy and so creek that therapy. that's the thing that's my number one pet peeve the people that can only see i i heard this great quote which is um 
people who only um I, a great quote that I can't remember. <laughs> uh, it was um, people who put a price on everything value nothing. Right. And that's that spoke to me deeply, right? And it's not true for everything. Obviously, money means stuff. Money means a level of freedom and, and security and safety and all that sort of stuff that comes into it. But that's not what we're talking about. No, you're talking about when when money outweighs anything else, the value of anything else, when money outweighs life, when money outweighs your health, any of those things, that's what you're talking about. The lust on money. That that is on the money. I've got to I've got to address this right now, right? That right there is on the money. That 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 I'm fighting so hard right now to get any kind of recognition from any kind of politician to get 1080 banned from Australia. It's banned the world round, except for Australia and New Zealand. Like there's two backwards countries using this bloody toxin, right? And you know why it's still here? Because they're dropping millions of dollars into lobbyists to keep, keep it in. But when all the evidence, every single bit of evidence points to the fact that it is the most inhumane, ineffective thing that has ever been used for pest control within Australia, right? there's heaps of evidence for it. And what it cost, what it cost was my PTSD dog, service dog. It cost me him. So the only reason right. we're talking is because he saved me and people value worthless pieces of paper over his life and that means that they value their money over my life and if they value money over my life then all the work that i've done advocating ptsd and mental health awareness and mental illness awareness and support programs and all the fundraising that i've done and all the people i've taken out to the creek and the people i've spent staying up to one or two o'clock in the morning texting back and forth who i've never met because they were going to go commit suicide they don't value their lives they value their money over it that means that they're putting that ahead of us and that's super important i think maybe that's right. maybe you just unlocked why i hate that comment so much why anyone who relates like what i dig out of the ground we've talked about this before about uh, about our experiences on that. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just I, saw the chat thing about the um, postcode for yeah, the petition. Yeah. If you yes. want to use the petition postcode, it's three six nine zero. And if you want to put some variation in there, three six nine one and three six eight nine. So one either side. <laughs> <laughs> three six nine zero. Yeah, that's the one. But yeah, like seriously, that petition I got. In a week, I have been the only person to get a response from a government official, like I got about 1080. Um, the, like, no one's getting responses from these people. Like, I've been talking to all the activist groups, all the packages and everything else. No one's got it. And the only reason I got a response is because hundreds of people, subscribers, bombarded them with emails. And that was it. And we well, need to keep doing it. We need to keep right. doing it until it actually happens. Like, let me let me ask you this. Let me ask you so 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 that that myself and probably some of the people watching and listening, what is the the poison that you're talking about, and what are they using it for? 
Thank you. Okay. And why aren't they using anything else? Okay. Well, this is a really, really, really good question. Um, 1080 is uh, basically a salt that turns into a toxin in the bloodstream. So it, it turns from what it is uh, chemically outside of the body into something completely different inside the body. It occurs naturally in some plants in Australia. So there is a level of um, tolerance to some birds, some mammals, some lizards or reptiles to the toxin in its natural levels because of this plant. So when it was conceived, they thought that by putting it into baits, that it would have minimal effect on native species and therefore it would only kill non-native species. And Australia has a big problem with feral cats, feral dogs, foxes especially. Um, foxes and cats are the two big ones. Goats, pigs, and deer. They have decimated this, this land, right, in a, in a big way. None of those creatures are native to Australia at all. And they also have no natural predators. So there's a problem, right? And rabbits. Well, well actually, they do have a natural predator, uh, a human being with a gun. Yeah. But... So we're going to get to that, right? We're going to get to that. <laughs> so that's what that. This is what that toxin does. Um, the 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 idea behind it. Natives have immunity. Non-natives don't have immunity. We put the toxin in those environments. The non-natives take it. The non-natives die. Sounds good in theory, like everything, like communism. It all, it all works on paper. <laughs> all good on paper, right? Yeah. yeah. So then it comes time to implement it, and what they do is that they they either uh, make baits themselves, like in a factory, that smell like meat, and the, the toxin itself has no smell and no like no odor, no way of detecting it for the animal. So they they have these commercially made baits, or you can buy it in basically a liquid form and inject it into something for it to take. So you could, if you want to kill rabbits, you inject it into carrots and peas and lettuce and all that sort of stuff. Do you want to kill dogs or cats? You put it in meat. <laughs> when you do this, they then put the bait sites out and the animals take it. It takes 30 to 90 minutes to kick in. So they'll eat it 90 minutes later. They'll show, start showing first symptoms and it can take them eight to 24 hours to die. Now, when I when I say eight to twenty four hours to die, when Grizzly's symptoms kicked in, he sprayed vomit, shit, and blood all over my car, patio, lawn, all of which is toxic. So I have to get rid of that. That that can keep killing. It doesn't. Once it's turned into this compound in the blood, it doesn't go away. It stays there until it is diluted away. So. Eight hours of that, sieging 42 degree temperature in the body, um, convulsing, can't breathe, can breathe, can't breathe, can breathe. Minimum sort of eight hours is what you're looking at for the animal to die like that. In the meantime, they become super aggressive. So they have sort of semi-lucid moments where they will try and get up and do stuff. So I had to stop Grizzly from biting me and the other dogs and Zoe and everything else because that's what he was going through. Um Every animal goes through this that has it, every single one. doesn't matter what species, they all go through it. So it's one of the most <laughs> horrific things I have ever seen in my life. I spent 15, I was an archery coach and a hunter. So I stopped hunting 
four years ago when I got really bad PTSD, when the symptoms got too much, because I had to take a step back from killing. Like that was just right. my own personal choice, right? So I was like, I used to hunt for my own meat. I used to butcher deer. I did all that sort of stuff. But I took a step back because too much pain and suffering was already going on within me. And I didn't want to be part of doing more of that to animals. Even But before that, I spent most of my life hunting. Now, that gives me a very unique insight into this, right? Because I know and fully understand what goes into pest management. I shot hundreds of foxes and rabbits and deer and everything off farms to protect crops and livestock every single year. That was part of our job doing that. Now, the, the problem that I have with this from a purely ethical standpoint is that I know that a half a cent 22 bullet is going to do a better job than any poison you put out there because it's not targeted, right? Poisons aren't targeted. You can't promise me that if I put a bait out that a fox is going to take it or a goanna is going to take it. And whilst animals have a level of immunity in Australia to natural levels of this toxin, right? These are synthetic baits that are designed to kill. They are designed... Grizzly had twice the lethal dose in his blood system that we got back from I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah. because in, in, in nature, there's a finite quantity of that in the plants or wherever. Exactly. Right? Yep. When you set it out as bait, you probably do two, 200 times the, yeah. the strength that you need so my question was going to be, was it also, is it also killing the native animals? Yeah, it is. It is. It that's is. the thing. It, it is. is. And that, you know, that's, that's wrong. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, here's the thing. There's two parts. There's, um, part one is that we need to deal with conservation. And part two, we need to deal with primary, primary industry. Conservation, you cannot tell me that putting poison into state and national far parks has anything to do with conservation. State and national parks are set aside for Australians and the tourists from around the world that come here to visit natural habitats to see, to see what Australia is about, right? Automatically, that's unsafe. You can't take your dog anywhere in Queensland or WA during spring or summer because they bait. They, they put thousands of baits everywhere. These baits, absolutely everywhere. It kills everything. And you can see it. You go into state forest that has these 1080 baits and there's no birds. There's no lizards. There's no insects. They, it Literally, they've got reports of these baits killing insects within 30 centimetres of the bait. Wow. So they don't even have to touch it. Right. <laughs> Like, it's, well, you said that it's still active even when the animal is uh, when the flu when the has been escaped so I'm thinking that it's still active even when the animal is dead yep 100% so, so there's any any uh, any um, carrion eating uh, animals, uh, animals. Dead animals. yeah wow. right yeah it's from it just keeps going so 
Right. Great. We've complained. We've complained about the problem. We understand that it's inhumane. We understand that it's ineffective. It's hitting wrong target species, and there's no numbers because of the way it kills. There's no numbers on how many foxes and cats it's actually killing. So it's not like the uh, Sporting Shooters Association of Australia that have records of how many foxes are taken by their members. They can't do it because the foxes go back right. to their dens or they they end up in a hole or whatever. Right. Right. It's a, it's a difference between counting the, the, the mice that you've trapped in your traps at home and not knowing how many you've actually killed using using poisons Thanks. because they've screwed up and, and died somewhere else. You yep, can exactly. smell them, but you don't know where he's at. <laughs> and you don't know how many or anything like that. So, right, or so how many. Exactly. I've been this is what I this is what this petition's for, right? Like on my page, you go to the petition post, you it's a generic email, but if you type your own part at the top about why you think it should be banned and all that sort of stuff, um, they have they have to consider it as an individual protest and not part of a collective whole. And that's what's really important. Now, if you've made it this far in the stream, guys, and we haven't turned everyone off watching. What <laughs> <laughs> are the numbers? No. <laughs> I, I can't stress enough that I am not someone that offers... I think you gathered this from... What we we're talking about earlier right i'm not going to complain about something and not offer a solution because that's stupid like, who does that like why would you complain about something and then not put forward what you think should be done and i think that what we're already doing is good outside of the poison which is hunting mm -hmm. the use of protective animals trapping and uh programs used to uh inspire Fire uh, people to go out and do more hunting. So, so uh, bounty programs. So, we need to open state and national forests to hound hunting. So, hound hunting is already allowed in some state forests. Those state forests have far less pest species in them than the ones that don't allow it. And that's because well trained hunters with well trained gun dogs who are licensed and registered to do so are very effective at this. So open up the state, uh, all the state forests and all the national parks, even if it's only for a season. So say spring comes around, you run the gun dogs through and you do that. The second one is lifting restrictions on pest controllers. So pest controllers can use traps, but because they have to use traps within sometimes public like uh, uh, enclosed spaces, so in towns and whatnot, they need special permits to put the animal down. And so that's cost prohibitive and, and whatnot, and it just doesn't get done. So they need to introduce weaker uh, rules around that. They need to make it easier for these people to use traps. They need to increase the fox bounty. So in Victoria, we have a bounty. It's $50 a fox. You shoot a fox, you take the scalp into the DPI, you get 50 bucks. Uh, no, sorry, $10 for a fox, $50 for a dog. But there's nothing on cats. So they need to expand it to cats and then roll it out nationwide. And what that does is incentivizes the 33,000 people in Victoria who have registered licenses for firearms to go out and hunt these animals. And the same for every other state in Australia. And that way you bring the management down. They need to introduce mandatory uh, de-sexing for cats um, upon purchase like it has to be done right so you don't get a cat if it's not dsex simple as that that way if it does go feral it can't breed and so you stop the cycle of it getting bigger and bigger and bigger it's 
not that hard. These are like really common sense things, right? <laughs> like, well, you know, especially with cats, cats are, uh, you have feral cats here here in Ohio or in Toledo, I should say, I'm sure in other parts of the country. If you trap a feral cat, you can take it to the local humane society and they will spay or neuter it. Yep. And then you can release it back out in the alley or wherever you got it. Uh, uh, because here for us, they're they're uh, they control nu nuisance things like rats and mice and mm -hmm. you know things like that. Yeah. You know, so but the problem is th they they breed like rabbits. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. So, so in Australia, we can't that they do that here for us. Yeah, we can't do that simply because we have we have species you can't find anywhere else in the world, and a lot of them are already on the endangered list. And so this is that conservation part. So everything I just talked about is about conservation. It's about removing pest animals from state and national parks. The other problem is primary industry, which means that there are going to be people who make a living off sheep farming, who make a living off cattle and crops and whatnot, and they need these pest species gone. Well, that's where they need to get in protection animals like alpacas to protect flocks because they are incredibly good at doing that sort of thing and they use the world around to do this sort of thing so they need to get them they need to work trapping programs and i feel that there should be an introduction of a program through the sporting shooters association where if you sit a course for a fee then you can get put in touch with farmers who need help during key seasons so like lambing season comes around they can take these accredited shooters, put them in contact with those farmers. The shooters can go out there for free. They have hunting property. They can collect the fox bounty or the cat bounty. They can remove these pest animals from those farms. And they also raise money by sitting the course fees for the parks department to then continue further programs in conservation. Like, it's not uh, hard. <laughs> yeah, a network of farmers that need these people to come out and take care of the the wild animals that are endangering them. Yep. It's like a win-win, you know, but That's the poison part is not because you're, you're, you mentioned that it kills them discriminately. That means that it also kills those endangered species that, yeah. that everyone's worried about. They did a study in New Zealand about where the baits were going. So they wanted to know how, what the kill rate was, right? They actually found in one 1600 baits were dropped in this mountain range not one fox took a bait. Almost all of them were taken by quolls, which are native, and that was the target species that they were trying to protect. Mm -hmm. like, it's insane that it's still being used. But as you so said, obviously, obviously, a lot of money's passed hands yeah. in order to get Billions. this. Yeah. You know, in order to get, yeah. make this happen with with little forward uh, thinking. I know we went off topic there completely. Yeah, I'm sorry. I think it was. Uh, I think it. I think it was it. Back to you, Rose. <laughs> okay. Well, we do. We have a a question from Amigo Gold. Um, when you came to uh, BC, I'm guessing British Columbia, to look for gold yep. in Bali, was it a challenge to find gold in a different part of the world compared to the area where you live and have knowledge of? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, it was. It was different. The principles are the same, right? But what happens is when you work an area, you build up a picture in your mind 
of what you should be searching out. And this is key. So any, even if you change geological areas by a couple of kilometers, so say you've got one stream here and 20 kilometers over here, there's another stream that produces gold and you change between the two, there's a good chance that you're going to struggle on the stream that you don't go to regularly. And this comes back down to a principle of your brain and your eyes. <laughs> so there's, you know what blows us away about good photographs is that a, a good photograph shows you everything. It shows you the whole scene in one hit. Our eyes don't work like that. That's why they're amazing. Our eyes see about 2% of the overall picture that they can see tack sharp. So when you're reading book, uh, reading a book, you can see one, maybe two words clearly, and the rest of them will be blurry. And the way you can test this is to put your fist out in front of you, stare at your fist, and that is about the total amount of what you can see perfectly sharp, and the rest of it will be blurry. Right. So when you go to a creek and you step out on the creek, you're going to see, you're going to see everything, but you're only going to see this much tack sharp. And what your brain is doing is it's rendering the rest of the creek in based off previous experiences. I know there's a tree over there next to the big rock and that big rock has a piece of vine on there. But in reality, yeah. I see this kind of fuzzy gray green thing over there and that's it so when you go to a new place it takes time for your brain to learn those details because you're only scanning two percent of your overall picture at a time so once you've learned one creek it doesn't work taking that knowledge to the next creek in terms of your visual reference so when i was in bc I knew what I was looking for. I was looking for crevices. I was looking for drop-offs. I was looking for big piles of rock. I was looking for, you know, all that sort of stuff. But what was different was the trees were different and the, the ground was different. Like the rocks were a different color and a different shape and a different texture and everything else. And it was a lot wetter. It was a lot wetter. And there was, <laughs> and there was freaking bears and mountain lions. And <laughs> um, the, so that it takes time for you to scan and render all of that stuff in. And that's what made it really difficult. That's a lot of information, a lot of new information to process that previous to that I didn't have, right? Like right. I, and then I'm trying to use and then trying to use old old knowledge to to match those two things up, you know. That just exactly like I know where it should be, but right. it looks completely different. It doesn't and look so, the same here. So is that yeah. where it should be? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. That's exactly right. Could be. So I found I found some good spots and I found, I think for the whole trip, I found like two grams or something like that. And I was pretty happy with that because most of, we only went out prospecting. I think we went out five times and I just had my pen and most of the time I was just walking and looking and taking photos and doing all sorts of stuff. I was pretty happy with my, with my efforts there. And towards the end of it, I was starting to get onto it. Like I, I was able to walk onto his claim and be like, Oh yeah, like right there. That's where it's going to be. And you can find these nice little bits. Most of my goal came at the end of the trip. And um, 
Yeah, so it just took time to render it in. So anytime you go to a new creek, I think that's a good bit of advice. Anytime you go to the new creek, it's really take your time just looking. Don't worry about test panning or anything even. Just go for a Let's... walk and note like, oh, there's some big rocks there. Oh, there's a nice line of gravel there. Oh, there's some high bench gravels over there. Like just take note of things and, and pay attention and then go back with your pan and test all of it and, and see was, what you're yeah. to get. I was trying to find a high spot to look. Yep. You know, try to get up and high so I can see what's up and around, giving you a little bit better. Because yeah, I do the same thing. I'll go to a new spot and I won't dig right away. I'll walk around, look, see what I see, try to find me a big boulder to climb up or get up on a hill or something just to get a visual of what's what I, what's around me. Well, it's like us when we went from Ohio to California. Totally different prospecting. Totally. Totally different. Yeah. Like, like it was totally different. <laughs> and I'd been the year before, so I kind of had an idea. Right. And your first time out there, it's like, where do I go? Oh, oh I, good thing about me, I'm from out west. So right. I had a, somewhat of an idea, but. Yeah, course, we had my... two toes give us a tutorial, and he really explained a lot of stuff to us. That was my first trip up into the mountains uh, out west. I've been to California, but never up into the mountains like we were. Beautiful. So that was a whole new experience and awesome time. Yeah. All right. California's on the bucket list. I was I was gonna lead that into what why don't you lead that into three places that you have not been to yet that you want to go? Yeah, California for one. I wanna go there. I wanna go to um I want to go to the Yuba and the Bear River. They're the two places that I'm pretty keen on going and visiting uh, just because of what I've heard about it and what I've read about it. I think that would be uh, definitely one place to do it. Well, I'll the put, other one... up with two toes then. Try yeah, to hook up but... with two toes. You bet. You'll have a good time. <laughs> the other place is Russia. Um, Russia. Now, Russian law prevented amateur gold prospecting uh during the ussr and they have a lot of gold fields that are completely virgin like 1800s gold rush style virgin now i've met some prospectors out there who are working patches technically now it's still illegal but the government won't really go after you for it i've met these guys um they're on a tour of australia and they were showing pictures of fish size nuggets and they, they are all by, you know, the highest sales of GPZ 7000s, um, the $10,000 mine lab metal detectors in the world are in Russia. And that's why they are pulling out potato sized chunks left, right, and center. Some of the world's really? last that's remaining gold. That's what I hear about uh, Vietnam also. Mm. Vietnam, there's supposed to be really a ton of gold there that's never been mined. Yep. Supposed to be. I, you know, I was there, but I was too busy doing other things to be looking for gold. You know, so. oh, come on, man. Like, <laughs> pull, pull your finger out. Get a gold pan. <laughs> you know, but yeah, that's what I've heard here recently that they're, they're finding gold. Of course, I haven't met anybody who's been there to, to, to verify that. You know, I'd like to. I imagine it's all over the world, except for mm. Hawaii. Yeah, I think there's only, there's only a couple of countries that don't have it. Um, but yeah, so that, they'd be my top two and uh, I don't know about the third, just, mm, mm, I can't think of third. Honestly, I can't think of third. Like, have you been, I, have you been to Alaska? 
No, I have not been to Alaska. Well, that's where you not. could make your snowman at. I, I could. I could make my snowman. I could go get... So I'm a pretty keen photographer. I love photography. And I, I think... I don't think I'd even... I feel like I probably wouldn't even pack a gold pan on that trip just a camera and um oh. and snowman building equipment. To... <laughs> yeah, I, I flew over Alaska on my way to Vietnam. Um, that was just like the most beautiful uninhabited place I'd ever seen. The mountains, yeah. the snow, just just a hundred percent. It was just wow. Yeah. I'd seen like when I got to BC it was the same. Like Paulie's taking me up to this claim and my eyes are like this big. Mm-hmm. I've just a ca- camera out the way like like constantly. It was yeah unreal. I saw two black bears and I didn't get a single I got one blurry photo of its ass going back in the Vancouver's a beautiful island. That's amazing. It's absolutely unreal going in there. The, the the thing that blew me away was how green it was. Like it's brown over here, guys. It's real brown. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a price for all that green, all that freaking rain. <laughs> <laughs> I I lived actually fairly close to Vancouver Island when I lived in Washington. So Yeah. Yeah, I I uh I went down to I can't remember where it was, somewhere on the coast there. And Paulie points across, he goes, That's America. I was like, Ooh. <laughs> uh, good so times what, that was. Obviously with your your large following, you've got, you know, with your Facebook and your YouTube and the and the fact that you have mentioned that you try to spend a lot of time talking with your fans, even though it's very hmm. difficult. Uh have you had any crazy fan experiences? <laughs> Do I tell the revenge story or not? <laughs> your, your definition of crazy. Uh, I, I think I suppose um, it's open for interpretation. Yeah. Uh, no, look, everyone's been super polite. All, all the legitimate fans, shall we say. Well, they, everyone's been super polite. Everyone's been really respectful of privacy and whatnot. Um, some Occasionally, I've had to just remind people about the volume of, of messages and comments that I get mm-hmm. because they get... Because of, because of my advocacy with PTSD, I get a lot of people coming in seeking advice and whatnot. And I always try and re- reiterate in my talks and my text posts that I'm not a place to come and get help from what I'm doing is I'm doing a shared experience and pointing you in the direction that you might want to explore for your own benefit which is either seek counseling or or talk to a friend or whatever it might be and so sometimes or quite often I I miss messages that are important um, that are very uh, that, that need a response and sometimes when I don't see them I'll get like angry messages afterwards and I have to just sort of explain that part of it again like you know I I'm dealing with 150 Facebook messages a day I've got 20,000 comments coming in this week I can't keep up with it, all, all of this it doesn't it doesn't it's not conducive to that so uh, so what I was going to say is so so most people are absolutely fine I haven't really had any crazy fan experiences probably the the 
the weirdest one we'll put a we'll put a um, parental advisory warning on this bit the weirdest one was i got a i got a message from a guy and it was a video and i just didn't have time to look at it and i i was just like uh whatever i'll get to it later this is when the channel was a bit smaller and um eventually later like that week or something i clicked on it and i I pressed play and it's (laughs) it was a guy and a girl who were in the middle of it and he was saying he was saying don't worry someone's name she's with me now and I, I was just like I don't think this was meant for me. And I talked back to him. I just wrote back. I was like, this wasn't for me, was it? And he goes, nah, bro, my bad. Far <laughs> out. Yeah. So I got I got sent some I got sent that. That's probably that was the most out there thing I think I've received from it. But yeah, so nothing, nothing too wild. I haven't I, I'm dealing with a lot of um I'm dealing with a lot of minors, right? So we're talking about guys sort of my age to 65. I don't really get any, I, I haven't, well, I'm pretty glad that I haven't received any nudes or anything right. <laughs> of that sort. I know some other YouTubers that do get that sort of stuff all the time from like hardcore fans and whatnot. And that's, it's pretty full on. Some some people's inboxes. The uh, other Chris, side. Of, Al hmm. Cooper says, Ha, uh, sorry, I haven't started stalking you yet. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. On my on my personal Facebook page, it says you're probably here to stalk, but you're not a bird for that exact reason. And then everything's locked up tight. <laughs> you got to you got to protect yourself. You know, oh yeah. Especially now, you don't know who you're reaching. How uh, how often have you come across someone coming to you <laughs> on the stream? What do you mean? Like Sam, how many? I know you. I knew oh. I'd see you out here someday. If I meet someone on the stream, that's what they say to me. It's, it's every time now. It's every time. Um, a um, lot of my gas station pumping gas in your car. Right. Yeah. Any <laughs> Um. Yeah. Look, I I meet I meet fans all the time doing my shopping. Um, yeah literally just like out and about in town out of town in the bush wherever i've met people who have been following me for a while it's pretty full-on i think uh which comes back to that whole advocacy thing uh a lot of people know me not necessarily even for the gold but because i've been in the newspaper promoting mental health and whatnot that uh, a lot of yeah a lot of people know me from that and so it's been it's been a journey. I, I've I've touched a very small level of fame, and I cannot even comprehend what it must be like for people who are in Hollywood movies and stuff, or, or big name singers, to to just go out and do your shopping. It would be unreal. Oh, somebody, um, Maddie, just said, "What about the psycho who knew where you lived?" Oh yeah, that's a that's a story for the that was on Nikki's live stream. That was that story. Yeah, he. I don't think he was a fan. I think he was just a very mentally ill person. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I met a guy on the creek and he knew, he ended up knowing where I lived, what car I drove, where I was, all sorts of stuff. But he was also severely schizophrenic and that that sort of explained it for me. He was at home. I, I found out he was at home. He lived with his mother 
isolated in the bush, all that sort of stuff. And whilst I don't think he was a threat, it was just very, very creepy. He was, sure. yeah, because because of the knowledge that he had. So yeah, <laughs> was not, that was not good. It's always nicer when you choose when you choose your friends. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Not the friends that know when you've changed your drapes and your underwear. <laughs> you know, when you're talking about reaching out, you know, so many people reaching out to you and you dedicating your time to uh, mental health issues and awareness, have you ever considered maybe bringing some people in uh, to work on your site, maybe talk with a few more people to, to get a bigger outreach? Yeah, I have. I've actually, so... Um, I've picked up a, an Instagram manager and so she triages my inbox. So I am able to get back to messages of high importance. Um, and that's not to say, I, I must put this out there. That's not to say that if you sent me a message, I haven't replied that your message isn't important. That's not what we're saying. It's just that with what I do, what I talk about, there are some people that really do need like immediate messages back. Like, dude, you're going to be okay. You need to call this number, you know, for crisis help or whatever it might be. So that's what we're dealing with on the other end. So it, it kind of, it kind of comes over the question of which pan should I buy or, or what metal detector should I buy? <laughs> so she's doing Instagram at the moment. She's doing a fantastic job. Um, I, yeah, we've been able to collaboratively work together on how we want to develop that page and keep communication lines open. That was a big part of it. Facebook is another one that I definitely want to get someone in on. The biggest problem is trust. Uh, there's a lot of, because of what we deal with, um, because of the messages that come across my inbox, I need someone there that I can trust to put the right messages in front of me and also trust enough to be delicate with these people, um, to, be, to, to know what to do. And that's super important to me so yeah that's yes. a hard part too yeah so yes but it's complicated yeah, maybe reaching out to, or getting getting a hold of some colleges to find maybe find some college students or yeah for sure um i think something like that could work but then again at the I feel like I I want to pull. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a it is a trust issue issue because there's a lot that goes into it. You know, behind the scenes of bogus prospecting, there is a lot of working parts. You you see a video, mm -hmm. and it goes for twenty minutes, and that twenty minutes has taken me two weeks to develop. Yep. Right, not just not just editing, not just the storyline development or organizing people. Like I'm working with a cameraman now, just stuff like that it's not just those things behind those scenes is reading hundreds of comments a day it's about replying to messages that are important both in terms of mental health but also prospecting questions right i get heaps of questions with that then i'm dealing with emails from other things like i i've got a lot of people trying <laughs> I'm very resistant to doing any sort of uh, uh paid content promotion within yeah. my videos I, I it would really need to be something that fits in perfectly with my channel if I was ever going to do that and again this comes back to the money conversation we had earlier it doesn't interest me as much as what most people will probably think because of the channel so I'm dealing with with like rebutting these these offers in a way that doesn't make my channel look like a black no-go zone for people yeah. um so I haven't done one today. I haven't done a single one of them, but it takes a big part of my time replying to emails like that. And it's not just paid sponsorships, but it's like 
articles that people want written. Um, it's advice that geologists are seeking. It's it's uh, people like yourself slipping into my DMs and being like, hey, can do you want to jump on and, and do a live stream for a few hours? You know, it's time management. Um, th there's a lot more that goes into that 20-minute video than you would think because this sort of stuff um, right now is where I pull ideas from and, and I, I get questions about what people want to know and I'll go and make films about them. So, yeah, it, there's a lot to it and I need someone I can trust to manage that and that's hard that's really hard <laughs> I, I really wish you the best man I hope that uh that that can that continues to grow and that you're able to to work on that because it's fantastic yeah oh for sure and, and it will uh, like filmmaking for me is such a passion that I don't see this stopping anytime soon <laughs> you might get a message from me to glean some of your knowledge about Filmora though Chris I hope okay no, that's uh, fun. But um, oh, mind if I drop a link in the room and get a yeah, let's do it. Someone join us with a question or two. We can definitely do that. But what the... I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go get a bottle of water, and I don't know because this is everyone watching this. This is the first time I'm using Zoom, and woo, <laughs> so I'm just gonna put my headphones down and go do it. You might hear some funky noises. All right. Ignore him. I'll be back in two minutes. Flush <laughs> of a toilet. And the thing with schedules, though, is one reason why I schedule guests out three months in advance, you know? Right. It's even something as simple as this with no editing. There's quite a bit involved behind the scenes. All right, I'm going to be putting out a Zoom uh, link in, oops, I copy and pasted something, so I have to grab the link again, because I Laurel, almost, that's right, water. I almost posted something else. <laughs> spinny breaks, Ray says, spinny breaks. Thank you very much, Scuba. I appreciate that, Sonia. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a potty break too. Then. So while we're while we're taking this break, let's take a break and say hi to some people we didn't say hi to earlier, like Jim Stone, Judy, and Ray Russo. Right, and Richard. Scuba Sonia showed up a little late. Scuba Sonia's in here. Yeah. Uh, call in, Brian. Dennis Hendrick. Yeah. Call in, Brian. Call in. We need you, buddy. <laughs> no Zoom forgot your pants. I have you. <laughs> Yeah. Happy peppery oh. I walked in on something there. What, what are we dapper dapper doing about? <laughs> I'm also gonna clip something in the um. See, I see everybody. Keeps performing well. Welcome back, Adventures with Goat. I don't think I have seen you in earlier. Room. Oh, Brian, come on. You're just, you're doing from the chest up, brother. You don't have to have pants on unless you stand up, dude. <laughs> Wait, we don't have to have pants on? I <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Wrong channel, Ed. Wrong channel. Wrong channel. Yeah, Wrong this channel. Is, this is yeah. not a hub, it's a YouTube. Definitely. <laughs> Wonder how many people do pantsless zoom and three nugget tears, eh? <laughs> I 
I'm just I'm a fan of the PJ pants. I'm always in PJ pants on Zoom meetings. They're always uh, comfortable. Yeah. There's also some mobile links in the description below. Um, oh, and you guys are at nighttime. It's like afternoon for me. So right. yeah, more like <laughs> well, what, sixteen hours behind right. you or something like that. I know we live in the future. That's great, guys. It gets better. I promise. If you just sell us lottery numbers, we'd share. <laughs> These are closely guarded Australian secrets. Am I going to be a crypto billionaire tomorrow? <laughs> I can't share that knowledge. My people will ostracize me. While we're, uh, as, as long as nobody's about to come in, Ed, um, Terry Curie would like to know where you got your name from. Um, Vlogus is the uh, Hungarian, that's the name, Hungarian pronunciation of my last name, which gives me a really good laugh because very occasionally I'll get trolls jumping onto my show and they'll be like, Vogus prospecting, more like bogus prospecting, but that's actually how it's spelled. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, thank you. Well, I, I heard in my ear I didn't butcher your name. You didn't, you did not. You, sir, get a trophy of one now of three people who have not put you by name. You have, in my entire 31 years of life, one, one every 10 years gets it right. You, sir, trophy. <laughs> it's about time. Done very well. You, you, you just touched on, on, the, on this just now. Um, with, with the popularity that you've received and have been getting lately, I'm, I'm assuming that you also get the opposite. Oh, you, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I've, and I've, I've seen some of, the, some of the things that have been said to you, and, you know, uh, it's a shame. Hey, you, you know what? You know what? It, it doesn't matter. It used to affect me. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it really doesn't. But it's a shame that, that people will make assumptions on just the, the minimal amount of knowledge. Yeah, the tiny bit of information they have about you and, and your day and what you're doing, and they make these big, big accusations. But look, uh, I, it used to bother me because what when you have a small channel and you're getting 50 comments on a new video or 20 comments on a new video, and they're all positive, and they're all positive like that every single time you upload a video for all year, and then one day it's the same amount of comments, but there's a guy that just says, like, you suck. That hurts. That hurts because you see it. it, it does but there's, something, there's something about when 50 people tell you you suck that it doesn't affect you as much. It's like because I've got, I've got 500 comments telling me that I'm great, and I've got you 50 people who have no idea what I'm doing and have only ever just got in. And clearly some of them have just been, the accounts have been created two days ago. So you're trolls. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, it's weird how it got bigger and it doesn't matter. Like now it doesn't sting as much because it's not as noticeable. Like it, people can, people are always going to disagree with what you have to say. It doesn't matter what opinion you have. It doesn't matter about any of that sort of stuff people are always going to disagree and right. it's, it's your job to recognize that it that ultimately has no bearing on what you're doing if if what you're doing isn't hurting anyone and it's progressing you and others towards the better of yourself and society and whatnot then you have nothing to worry about 
It's that simple. Yeah, if, if you notice the, the channels that that get the most success are the ones where the people that are running the channel don't care about uh, uh, what your opinion is about them. They're not there for you and your opinion. You're there. Yep. You're here for a specific thing. It's like us. We're here to to have people like you come on and, and talk about you know your your life experiences in the treasure hunting community, or mostly whatever. or whatever. We know wherever yeah. it goes, right? But but that's that's what we're about. And, and you know we get we get people that don't like what we say or think that we don't know what we're talking about. And that's fine. Yes, it hurts. But the one thing, the one thing that you do get out of this is you learn to have a a thick skin. Yeah. You learn to let that stuff just roll off your back. And if if you don't, that can be really bad for your, for your. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It'll take you down. Yeah, it'll take it. you down. Yeah. 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 If you let it in, it'll take you down. I've had a lot of comments recently about grizzly dying and they try and like get in under your skin and whatnot. And if if it had happened two two years ago, it would have really affected me. But now like I one guy has told me told me to get over and get a new dog. He was just a dog, it doesn't matter. I pinned his comment to the top and I just wrote underneath it, probably not the place to probably not the place to voice that opinion. And I had like 150 people rip into the dude. Well, like, uh, and it, but that was the thing, right? I always have time for someone who's trying to teach me something. So if you come up and you say, Hey dude, your sluice was running too fast, too hard, too much angle. Here's why this is my results, whatever cool i will listen to you i will take in every bit of information you give me because that's what it's about but you come in and you attack me over what i'm doing and how i want to live my life well you have uh what was it chanel said it beautifully which was um i think yeah coco chanel she said i don't care what you think about me i don't think about you at all and and that's the thing because some people are out there for the reaction and they're out there to cause you harm and they're out there for whatever reason right it's basically to build their own ego because they've been able to manipulate you in one form or another get you to react and that was like that guy that guy was grizzly that's why i just they have to do that to build themselves up right I was going to say, a few of ours have been really a reach. People have been reaching out. And in the long run, after addressing their comments and saying you were very rude, they end up apologizing mm. and talking about what's really upsetting them and has changed and in, in gone into a whole different direction completely. That, that's super important. I, I Again, I had this guy come onto my channel and he said um, what you're – uh, what you're doing is destroying the environment and you should be locked up and blah, blah, blah. He oh, went wow. into this big thing. And I, I and I, I looked at it and I said, like, because it hurt because I know that I'm not doing that. And I, I wrote back to him and I said, I, I took it from the perspective. I am going to tell this guy the facts, the, the stuff that's not in the video. So I said, we're doing this in a designated prospecting area. The creek that I'm digging in is actually a water ditch from the 1800s. This is not actually like a natural creek. It's It's... drainage ditch right um i'm i'm using legal equipment 
that has been designated that I am allowed to use this. I am moving the legal amount of dirt. I have only removed trees that are invasive species, which I explained in the video. And I also shared him a link of, of the trees and the parks department's plan to remove those trees from that area. Um, and I explained all this and he came back with a couple of other things and then I addressed those points. And then at the end he went, oh, okay. Like he literally turned around his whole opinion, yep. but he was also open to listening to that. And that's important because yep. it's got to go both ways. It can't just yep. go one way. And sometimes that falls on deaf ears. Like I'll do that every time something like that comes up. I'll explain the, the legalities and the ethics of why I'm doing what I'm doing. And even if that person doesn't like it, someone else who comes in has the same opinion and goes, yeah, I agree with that guy. And it clicks on the response and reads it. They might not, um, they might not think the same way. They might change their opinion. Go, Oh, okay. That guy has actually thought out what he's doing and why he's doing it. Yeah. Um, you, have to, you have to remember, you have to remember too, that um, the opinions a lot of these people have, especially the, the non minor prospector person, the opinions that they have are what they've been, Fed through the gold show, right, right. Australian gold shows, they're the same way. They show the miners out there just tearing everything up, yeah, just heavy equipment. Up. Then they don't it's show the reclamation. Like yeah, all this noise, all this dirt. <clears throat> what they don't show is the importance of what they what they do afterwards of the reclamation. And I'm sure you guys have the same laws, right? We do. Yep. Everything, put it back the way you got it. Yep. Right. So that's what they don't show. That's what they don't see. That's what they don't understand. So that's that's you know when when you get into those types of arguments, that's probably something you need to remember that they don't see that they don't understand that part. Hmm. A lot of times after they meet us as a group, they realize it is not what they have seen on TV. Right. Yep. Yep, hundred percent. And and I started adding that into my videos, so I'm starting to add parts of reclamation into the shows to actually show people to to sort of mitigate some of those questions that I'm getting. Um, we we just so when we high bank, we sort of plan it out that as we move down the deposit, the tailings back fill the holes. Now it will never it'll never go back perfect. It just doesn't work like that. But the the concept of it is that the big tailings then get covered up with fine tailings and the big tailings get covered up with fine tailings and it just walks its way down. And that way it's got soil and rock and it holds together and it doesn't erode and then grasses and trees and stuff grow in on it. Yeah. Yesterday I was at a spot where we moved about eight cubic meters over the course of three weeks. And we, it's a lot of dirt that we put through this high banger. And so we, 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 did that process where we, we worked down the, the riverbank and the only thing that's left now is one small hole that's maybe the size of a coffee table and it's got sharp edges. So yesterday we just took those sharp edges off to make it a ramp, but everything else already has native grasses growing on it, like all over it. It already has all this native grass. Before we started digging there, it was actually just gravel. There wasn't any grass. The, the way that we laid it back in allows for plants to grow and that's the stuff that they don't see. So I'm planning a video in the future of going back and visiting spots that I've dug over the last four years and showing you what it looked like when I left and what it looks like now so that, that you can see. Yeah, that's yeah so you can actually see the progress of how it works. So this will look like this 
in the future. And we're in the meanwhile, we're removing mercury and lead from the land. Like, uh, well, I always just... encourage uh, as a YouTuber doing this that we show the the trash that we pull out. Let people see mm -hmm. things that are being pulled out of the, the yeah. creek. You know, so yeah, it's it's, it's and it's a, I think it's an important thing to show to help our our community. Well, not our community because we do this, but people who stumble on out of our community and go, oh, this is cool. Oh, they do this, mm. they do that. Yeah. Wow. You know, I didn't yeah. know they did that. They went that far. <laughs> I and think I think because we get into the earth and, and are so close to it, you know, when we're doing what we're doing, that we tend to want to take care of it more. That's yeah. just yes. You know, yes. It was yeah. Just okay, I'm done. Back to you. <laughs> <laughs> bringing having a youtube channel where we literally our channel is pulling trash out of the water we to ourselves have to show uh, a lot of people that we haul that trash bring that trash back to a pile and then someday when we get off our lazy butts take it to a scrapyard and recycle it you know we have yeah. to we have to show that as well because a lot of people think we're leaving that behind yep a hundred percent and like you, you're right you're your channel is focusing on pulling out um, ferrous metals. Yep. So mm -hmm. there's not really much precious metal into that no. you're going to collect with a magnet. It's very rare you're going to collect anything like that unless you hook a bag or something, right. I suppose, with a, with a safe in it. A safe but with a, a Zippo in it. That's about it. With no <laughs> notches. Crappy Zippo, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> you pull out guns too. You yeah. pull out yeah. things like that, you know. And some cool vintage yeah. finds. Some history. Sure. And one day you may solve a mystery by putting you That's Yeah. And, and so like it it goes both ways. We've got to I, I teach people, I have been teaching people how to find gold. What I feel responsible for is neglecting the side where I show what we do to protect mm -hmm. nature. And mm -hmm. that's why I started introducing to my videos. If you watch my last 10 videos or so, usually there's a snippet in there. There'll be one scene where I'm like, oh, we're going to backfill the hole and I'll be pulling the rocks back into the hole. I never used to film that because I, I thought, oh, it's, you know, no one's going to be interested in it. Yep. But once I started getting so many comments about um, destroying the environment, I was like, oh, shit, I need to show these guys what we're actually doing um because otherwise it's got to go on thinking it is gold rush and we don't care about anything that yeah. so we don't care about what it's actually like to have um to have yeah brain gone really this is gone i forgot my point <laughs> it's following up and, and it's, it's clearing up a stigma that's being created in a lot of um a lot of these youtube channels is people thinking that we're just doing this for views watches and you really have to educate them to let them know that, you know, it, for, for me, it was just me and my best friend deciding to see what would happen when we pulled a magnet out of the water and then deciding to share that with everybody else. But you, yeah. I guess as you've gotten bigger or you've got those comments, you just have to show them. You just have to, like you said, even if it's just a real quick clip, you just yeah. have to show that you've done it. I, I just filmed, I finished filming a metal detecting video yesterday where we were looking for gold nuggets out with the SDC and the SDC will punch a pretty deep hole. So we're digging one foot deep holes, that are, you know, yay, yay big. Yep. 
anything comes along the steps and it's going to break your ankle and it's a two second clip i said don't be a dick fill your hole in it takes 10 seconds like yeah. just to kick the dirt back in it right like it took you longer to dig it out than what it will to push it back in so yeah it's those sort of little tiny clips because they are important it yeah. might not be important it might not be important to you but the animal that steps in that hole and breaks its leg yep. it's its life Yep. um for the kid that's running around in a park that someone's metal detected in and busts their ankle it's their football season that they were looking forward to getting back to um for us miners digging high banking holes and stuff it's the difference between parks coming along and seeing a bank that has been mined that's got grass and trees and stuff growing on it or coming in and just seeing a huge pile of rock yep. and a big gaping hole and mud like and, and then petitioning that prospecting shouldn't be allowed in that spot. So for some of us, like myself, it's now my livelihood. So we need to be responsible for protecting that. So Glenn Ford, um, I think he wanted to pay you a little bit of a compliment here. He said, Chris and I have watched every of your, uh, or your YouTube, Chris, um, and it's helped their gold prospecting there in Victoria heaps can't thank you enough uh, that's that's exactly what it's about that's, that's exactly what we talked about at the start of the show which is it was all about taking what i'd learned coaching archery and turning it into gold prospecting and giving people answers to questions that just didn't have answers to online and i think i've done that now i think i i've got almost 400 videos up on gold prospecting there's a lot of information on my channel. Like if you want to know something about gold prospecting, just go there and start watching. <laughs> yeah. And you'll find stuff and that's what it's about. So I'm, I'm really, really happy Glenn that you've, that you've, I think you've been sending me messages on Facebook. I think, I don't think, I don't know if I've heard from you in a while. My, my inbox has got in the last since Grizzly passed, my inbox has been, insane i cannot even begin to describe how many messages so if you've been sending me messages i haven't written back i do apologize but i'm pretty sure you were down near ballarat or bendigo somewhere like that and you were working a pug layer and it was, had really really decent crispy chunky coarse tasty looking bits of gold <laughs> in it <laughs> have you had um fans send you any gifts do you have any favorite gifts that have come from anybody mm. Oh yeah, yeah. So we we opened. Uh, I've had some fan mail segments, and then when Grizzly passed, we created Grizzly Mail. So the idea behind it was just a little honor thing for him uh, that people could send stuff into the channel. Uh, it started as his memorial, so we're we're getting rocks for a memorial garden for him that we're going to put these rocks in and, and whatnot. And that's how it started. But it's sort of developed into our uh, mail time segment, and people have sent us heaps of stuff like in terms of rocks hundreds of rocks <laughs> so many rocks it's so cool <laughs> so grizzly used to love rocks he'd pick them up and run around with them and he'd, yeah. he'd walk up to me with his funny face and he because he's a boxer he had these big puffy lips and he'd be like <laughs> and he, he, he kicked this rock out in front of you and be like you shouldn't be carrying that around but thank you <laughs> like <laughs> um he yeah, so we got heaps of rocks and, and for all over the world, which is which is amazing. Like we got rocks from England and bloody Pakistan and the US and Canada and New Zealand and just yeah, and all of them came with a story. It was like, oh, I heard about Grizzly and I hiked up this hill and we went looking for a rock, or me and my kids went looking for a rock, or one lady sent us a rock that had she'd been carrying around with her for 20 years that her dog found 
like oh. and she sent us that and, and so like yeah they they have been really special and then there's been um some of the memorial gifts that were given uh including signs and plaques for grizzly oh. and just just bits and pieces like that and i've also had some super generous subscribers like one dude sent me a solar panel for my high banker he said he goes i was sick of you only doing um two hour sessions before your battery ran out i want to see you do longer ones here's a solar panel Wow. <laughs> okay <laughs> i guess i'm gonna dig longer <laughs> uh, yeah so i've had heaps of stuff like that i've been very very blessed and I, i'm super appreciative of it because i know how much money it costs to send anything within yeah. or to australia yeah. like just like so, some people are sending rocks that are this big and it's costing them 25 bucks you know like it's, it's a lot of money for a pebble so so um yeah i'm really appreciative of that the time and the effort and i will say that earning on what you if you do want to send something into the channel you can just like a letter or whatever that's yeah if you want to have a bit more correspondence with me and whatnot or get a message to me that's probably the way to guarantee that i'll see it <laughs> um yeah so that, that's definitely something that you can do i've got a lot of people that send me letters and as opposed to sending me facebook stuff because they know that it reaches me so um let's uh, do another uh scenario with totally open-ended you have all the time in the world time machine uh, yeah, or a time machine, and you were able to to make another channel. You were able to explore something else. Do you have anything else you'd like to to look down? Any other avenues you're interested? Don't in? you have another channel or two? I have three other channels. I thought so. <laughs> yeah, I already have three. I have a gaming channel. That's probably my next biggest channel. Um, I Your thoroughly enjoy that channel that's uh the gaming channel i, oh. I changed that yeah i changed that slightly it's more my vlogging channel so i put i put experimental videos up there i put videos where i'm experimenting with um techniques and filming and and ideas and concepts and i i primarily game on it because i like gaming it's a bit of fun and yeah so I, it hasn't been as active recently because of um a whole heap of stuff like especially since grizzly passed just been busy so i haven't done as much but once we move into this next house with better internet that channel is <laughs> going to be a much more regular thing good internet it's, for gaming oh you need it you can't get i can game or i can stream i can't do both right i i, <laughs> so, I have a gaming addiction that's why i don't do it anymore i i'm a yeah. reformed gameaholic we have uh, jason reform. morris waiting in the waiting room i you're the person he's calling for. I will I will finish this question and then we'll get Jason in here and we'll talk. All right, we'll talk hold on a little him. bit, Jason, and we'll be Almost right there. with you. Don't go away. We'll be right with you. The last the last channel is my photography channel. Um, so I've only got a couple of videos on that. And that again, that's a project that I want to work on. I want to work on documenting my photography because it's like a diary to see kind of how far I've come, the techniques I've learned, all that sort of stuff. And also the same sort of deal. I could never find answers to questions that I wanted when I started photography. So I wanted to share some of that, but that's more of a concept stage channel than it is an actual channel. Right. Let's get okay. him in. Well, <laughs> you left. 
He, he ah. didn't want to stick around. Jason, yeah. we... <laughs> Come back, Jason. <laughs> Here he is. Here he is. Here he is. We're waiting for that little square to pop up. Like, oh, Jason. Yeah, everybody gets quiet. Like, Jason. Go. <laughs> I give you dog, it's working on it. <laughs> What's going on, man? We're waiting for his audio to connect. Uh, it's okay. He's probably doing what I did at the start, trying to figure it all out. Now we got to unmute. Yep, now unmute. You should be good. There, there you go. go, Jason. Thanks for calling. Welcome to Tuesday Night Hangout Live. Uh-oh. Well, here you go. Uh, we can't hear you. Hear you. Um, on your lower left, you have to choose a microphone. Um, or no, so okay. There's trying to reconnect. Okay, there you go. No, huh? No, no. Huh. it's not letting him in. It's not letting him talk. Uh, don't you love technology? Mm -hmm. No, not yet. You have one more than one mic? Especially when you were around before technology. <laughs> Jesse's <laughs> idea of a laptop was a stone tablet and a chisel. Right, right, right. <laughs> now, Jason, you're still in the room. Um, yeah, I... Uh, do you remember when you beat me over the head with that club and oh, me in the cave? <laughs> I lost you. There oh, you yeah. go. Jason. Now we hear you. Right. <laughs> you guys hear me all right? Yeah, great. Yeah. All right. Sorry that there's an echo. I have five kids here, so it gets a little noisy in my house. Well, that nice. happens. <laughs> Settle down or hey. you go to bed. Well done. Bye. Anyway. I will pop it. Okay, settle down, settle boys. I'm, Sorry, boys. I'm worried. To, I'm worried to know what she's going to pop. My <laughs> <laughs> The man. Well, yeah, you're using no, stone uh, stone tablets. Stone tablets and um, a chisel is probably why when you're in Vietnam, you had no time to go gold panning. No. It would have taken forever to type anything out. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to see. It's good to see you got the uh, firmware update for a laptop. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, guys, how's your night going? I've been good. trying to follow, you know, in between everything. Um, like my advice to anyone that's new to a prospector, don't go out and spend tons of money on, on all the hubbub and all the fancy stuff. Start off with a pan, like Chris said, you know, yep. start simple. Don't, don't get into the fad of, oh, this pan's better than this one, that one, whatever. Learn where the gold is. Learn, I don't know how to explain it. Um, just keep it simple, like you guys said earlier, you know. Don't yeah. get into the fads of, oh, well, this loose box is better, this loose box is better. You know what? Best loose box I ever had was this folding sluice I got online and everyone says, Oh, don't use the folding sluice because you lose gold out of it. I'm not out for the, for the, 
every bit of gold. You do that, you're going to drive yourself nuts. You know what I yeah. mean? Oh, yeah. So just let it, let, let all the commercialization and all that stuff like you guys were talking about, you know, Discovery Channel, all that, they, they're out for the gold. You know, right. they got the machines, they're, they're digging holes in the earth. They got to fix it later. Sure. They don't, like you said, they don't show that stuff. They don't show the reclamation of the lands and all that stuff. You know, they kind of touched it in one of the, one of the seasons of the show, but they didn't really show what they had to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not just going out, let's get some gold and dig a hole and leave it. I, mean, I think David, David Tur Turin, I think it was David or, or, or I think it was David did it was David Turin. Uh, yeah, he did a whole show on on reclamation uh, one season to show, but that was just one show. It's not something that's put in everybody's mind every week when they're out there. You know, they don't talk about it, and that's 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 my problem with them. Right. And touching on the touching on the gear part of it. Um, there's a thing that I call new gear syndrome. So I wrote an article for a, a archery magazine many years ago, explaining how the new gear, new equipment that you buy gives you a false indication that the gear has increased your skill level. Because what happens is generally speaking, people will buy into the advertising or something. They will go buy this product they will then use that product like full on for a little while, maybe a couple of weeks. In that time that they're using that product really hard for a couple of weeks, that in terms of archery, they're practicing. In terms of prospecting, they're going out. And therefore, you see net gains. So if you're practicing all the time and you're practicing properly, you'll probably get a little better in that time frame. If prospecting, if you're going out every week, chances, or if you're going out every day of that week, chances are you're going to find something good or you're going to find something better than your average. And therefore, you'll probably relate that back to the new piece of equipment. But what it really is, is it's you investing your time into the craft. And so not going out there and immediately buying the the best sluice detector everything else learning what you have yeah. um, like learning the pan or the detector so that that you have to use it as best as you can will make you better when you do eventually buy something that is considered to be better in the pre-show we're talking about dream mat and this is where i'm going to bring this up <laughs> 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 oh, Dave from Dream Dream Mats in the room. By the way, he said hi, Bogus. Hey, Dave. Okay, Dave. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some stuff to think about. Listen um, up, David. So the the Dream Mats based in principle off the drop riffle sluices uh, that you will see on commercial mines within um, the Yukon. Oh, those those. Uh, and I believe that, that that part of the business, yes. the rubber matting part of the business was sold off to DreamMat and they, they outsourced that part. Um, this is my understanding of it. They outsourced that part to the matting. Now, DreamMat has developed into several different styles and I have used almost all of them, um, excluding like the really specific things like the, uh, the blue ball mats and those sort of things. 
but I've used the micro cell, I've used the mini cell, and I've used the big cell. So the three primary cells that I think most people would end up with in their sluice boxes. Mm-hmm. I love the micro cell for cleanups. I have used that pretty religiously for a while. The micro cell is just whew, <laughs> really good, especially when you couple um, that matting with the right sluice box with uh, the right water water flow running over it or that it's just an amazing piece of equipment the mini cell mat that you get in a six inch river sluice here in australia if i could get that in a 10 inch wide section and run it down my entire big sized high banker um i might occasionally do that (laughs) it is really good it will suck fine gold out like absolutely no tomorrow and it's it's relatively idiot proof and i've said this on almost every live stream i think i've ever done which is idiot proofing is someone who has no idea what they're doing can grab the thing go out to the creek put it in and it will probably work for them I call it the... <laughs> sorry i said i call it forgiving yeah, yeah forgiving so yeah i call it idiot proofing yeah. but yeah <laughs> forgiving idiot proofing. one of the same so, yeah <laughs> It means that you don't read the instructions and you still probably get a pretty good result with it. Yeah. So that 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 mini cell mat is that stuff. But the big cell is absolutely positively useless on fine gold. And I've got all the evidence, I've got all the data, I've run it over multiple hive anchors, multiple different pumps, multiple different lengths, water flows, angles, the lot, the big cell is bad at flower gold, like what we get here in Australia. And I don't know why. So bear with me. I've followed the manufacturer's guidelines. I've done that, it didn't work. I've done multiple different versions of my own guidelines and it didn't work. And we're talking about going to a spot that was getting a hundred pieces of flower gold. We're talking sub hundred mesh, probably ranging into 200 mesh gold, small gold, small, small stuff, very hard to catch. Now I can, we, when we got that, we got those test pans back and we thought, oh, beauty, man, like a hundred and 150 specs or a hundred specs to 150 specs a pan is a couple of grams in a few hours from from shoveling. Right. Uh, when we cleaned out, we ended up with a 0.26. And there's no way, there's no way that the ground didn't have the gold in it because we were testing the bank as we went in and the pans were consistent all the way in. So then we tested our tailings. And what we did is we took those tailings. This is the first instance we found that the big mat was bad. We took those tailings. We ran it through a six inch river sluice because um, it had already been classified by the high bank of us, And we pulled out over a gram of gold from that six inch river sluice from our tailings. Now that big mat was set up according to factory standard, what gold rat here in Australia recommends. Now we made adjustments to that and we tried it over several different setups, several different higher bankers, and we ended up trying to work out how we could really test if it was the, the, the matting itself. And so we put it as an extension to a high banker. So we ran this high banker with expanded uh, mesh and moss, and we were getting a pretty good capture rate of about 90% of the flower gold in this spot. We were running sand, literally sand, and we're pulling out 200 mesh, 300 mesh gold. About 90% from the high banker itself. The next sluice, 
was the, I can't remember how long it was, the 36 inch long um, river sluice with the big cell dream mat in it. Below that, we ran a river sluice with expanded mesh and moss. So three different sluices, primary high banker, dream mat, expanded mesh and moss river sluice. When we did the clean out, we knew, we knew our loss rate already from what that high banker was giving. When we did our clean out, we got almost no gold in the dream mat section of the river sluice for, for the overrun, for the tailings. But we got heaps of fine gold in that end sluice. It doesn't do its job on, on fine gold. It just doesn't do it. I don't know why. I've seen it work on big gold. I've seen it like you, you put 50 mesh gold in there, you put 20 mesh gold in there, no worries at all. Catch it all day long. But I guarantee you, you run the mini cell mat next to the big cell mat on flower gold and the mini cell will catch way more than what the big cell does. And that's not just one day going out experimenting. That is months of trying to figure out why. So, yeah, I would like to know why, if, he, yeah, if he's got any wise words for us. <laughs> well, I have a I'm sure he'll contact you later. Yeah, uh, David said that you can get a 10 by 36 mini from him. Okay. Would you guys... Would you guys run your guys's mini mat before the large mat? Could you possibly do that? Would that be more effective, or would that affect it? Or I just put I just put mini mat in. There's no point running that big stuff. That's what I'm saying. Like, well, yeah, I wouldn't. There's, yeah, here, here's where I got a six inch. Here's got a six I, inch homemade sluice at, at in my car. Um, hmm. just a short twenty four piece. Um. Just run the mini mat in it then, because yeah, just run mini mat, man. You will not go wrong with mini mat. It is it is really good. It is really really good. Um, I I make it. I found my sweet spot to be about half an inch of water over the top of the mat, if that makes sense. So the highest point of the mat, about half an inch of water over the top. Uh, six inch, six inch or so uh, drop in it. Oh, not six inch drop. Six inch sluice. One inch of drop per. No, Chris, brain into gear. About eight degrees is what I found. So they suggest nine. I found eight. Is that a little bit more effective? Run it under. Yeah, yes. well, I, but it depends on your heavies. So I found like if, you, if you're running really, I only generally have ironstone in my area and it's a little bit lighter and not as dense as that tin oxide or, or magnetite that you'll get in a stream. And so if I run it shallower, it seems to work a little bit nicer than what it does if I if I run it at a steeper angle. But if you're running stuff that has a lot of black sand or tin in it, then the reverse, I, I put it a little steeper just to get those heavies moving and, and keeping that vortex going in those cells. Gotcha, because we got a lot of black sands in Colorado and that's the issue that mm -hmm. I run into. I've got a jar half full of black sands. I don't yeah. have a gold cube to run it through. So run I'm stuck it hard. with a jar of black sands or sit there and pan it out. And yeah, I've got hard. like I said, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah I'm gonna say I takes time. I run the um the uh high banker with the, the big cells in it, right? Yeah, and I run it hot and heavy i mean yeah. hot water real fast and i catch that that small gold in that big mat in fact i catch a lot of my small gold in the lettering is where yeah. i want to put it you know and, and in the cups um so yeah. i don't know but but you've you've uh ed you need to throw a link in dave wants to call in 
<laughs> We're already in 15 minutes See into that. overtime. Go ahead. Anyways. All right, guys. Well, I'm going to let you guys get other people on. I'm not going to hog the screen here. So I appreciate All right, Thanks for time. calling guys, in, Jason. Have a good night. Calling yep. in, Jason. I'll talk to you guys later. Hey, buddy. Have a good one, but, man. Yeah, I, yeah, I use uh, I use the, the big cells. I don't have I don't have any problem. I don't have losses like what you're what talking. Size, what size gold are you getting? What well, this is question well, I've got for you then. Well, how much gold do you think I can get in Ohio? <laughs> I don't know. No, but that's what that's what I'm asking. I, what, what I saw is... someone said they could get uh had a spot they could get all kinds of gold in Ohio. Where was it? <laughs> yeah, where was I put it? it in the chat in <laughs> Skype. For me, for where we are, I mean, we can, you know, we'd be happy with a gram a day. So yes, I'd be tickled. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So if, if, for me, if I can run, just run without classifying it, because I run the speed banker, right? Uh, uh, and, and if I can just run that all day long without classifying, and I can come out of there with a gram, I'm happy. But with the, what I've noticed with this with with this mat is places that I've gone to in the past using other stuff, I actually can find more gold. How much more? I, I you know I haven't scientifically experimented and measured, but I know my I'm question. More with my it. question. This so this is what I was talking about before about. I, this was talking about before about new gear syndrome. Mm -hmm. You're finding more gold, but you're saying that you don't have to classify. So are you pumping more dirt through? Well, absolutely. Yeah. So that, but that's your answer, right? So yeah, sure. your um, answer isn't necessarily that it's catching more. It's that it's, it's that you're actually material. processing more. Yeah. More, more material. Correct. But I'm not finding the losses you're talking about. And, this is and this is what I'm talking about, right? Like, I it's not just me trying this out. I've got Mick doing these experiments as well for me. So there's two different people setting up two different high bankers in different combinations, and we're getting losses. And I'm talking, we're getting insane losses from that big cell stuff. And I know it works on a certain size of gold in my area. No issues at all. Like when, when we take it to places like the Buckland River, which has nice flaky gold, we're talking big bits, right? Like big, mm -hmm. like 20, 20 plus mesh for us is big. So we're, we're talking that sort of stuff and we can run that all day and out of like 20 or 30 buckets out of a river sluice with that big sale, we might lose two or three bits, like, you know, completely negligible losses. Right. Put that stuff in a high banker, take it to where I mine mustard gold, guaranteed you're going to lose heaps, heaps. Just don't get it. Just don't get it. Don't understand why. Okay, <laughs> we, we have the man with the answers, the mechanical engineer and inventor of Dream Map with us right now, Chris. There we so. go. I've always wanted to talk to this guy. <laughs> <laughs> as soon mind. as he gets his mic unmuted. You got to unmute it. Touch your screen and unmute your mic. You've been on here before, David. You can do it, David. Don't let me down now. <laughs> it might be too complicated for him. 
Yeah. Unmute. Unmute. There you go. There you go. There you go. All right. Chris. Yeah. Awesome to meet you, mister. I have watched many, many, many of your videos and enjoyed them thoroughly. Uh, it's I good to hear. I've got to ask how many of I've my videos the... made you cringe. No, I wish I had the ability to edit and do good videos like yourself because my videos are terrible cell phone uh, videos. Uh, I try not to do many videos because of that. And also, I got the bad squeaky voice that no uh. one likes. And so I I try to be like the guy behind the fence on um, home improvement and just stay off the screen. Wilson. So, Wilson. Yeah, no, and, and actually you got great video and, and um, entertainment. So I really like that. Anyways, so cool stuff. So anyways. I, I thank you very much for that. First of all, thank you. I, I really yeah. appreciate that. It's nice to actually yeah. hear that because so I've actually watched quite a lot of your videos, man. You do. So my videos things. are like the geek engineer that's got the axe to grind because I guess I have a little chip on my shoulder and I admit it. And I try not to, but you know, I'm trying to work that. Um, I like that. No, here's the thing. You just you just came in and you just tore yourself apart about how you don't make good videos and all that sort of stuff. But I have watched pretty much everything you've put out on the dream mat. And you know why? It's because you're feeding me the information that I actually want to know. And it gives cool. me answers. That's important. That's so yeah, important. True. Forget true. video quality. That's not what I, you're about. You're sharing information. Video quality is second to yeah. your audience because you're sharing yeah. things that I want to know. So just keep doing I, it. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thanks. And, and I try to bring it down to the redneck level, not because I'm trying to be a redneck. I am a redneck. So I try to convince people that we can understand difficult principles, but in uh, the country bumpkin way that everybody can this, get to it. This, this, this is what we were talking about at the start of the show, saying that you need people... It's all good and well to come up with big, complicated words and, and really know your stuff. But if you can't convey that information, then you're not a teacher. You're just some smartass that's blabbing on about nothing, right? So you're doing a good job. That's perfect. That's that. I like that. We're going to call this like uh, Redneck Teaching or the Redneck Institute of Learning. Wonderful. Albert Einstein said, if you can't explain it simply enough, you don't know it good enough. Yes. So yes. that very that quote is very true. Now, as far as the big dream hat, kitchen find gold, it really I think is this environment, what type of gold, um, how we flow our and feed our equipment. Okay. What I mean is we tend to, and this is a a, a problem we all have. We learn how to drive. So we learn how to stop at stop signs. We learn how to accelerate. We learn how to do certain things. And we are convinced within ourselves that this is the way it's done. So then we take a piece of equipment to the creek that's somebody else's or different and we run it the way we normally drive. And we wonder why it doesn't perform and it's a piece of crap car and we throw it, take it to the junkyard or sell it. Every piece of equipment has a sweet spot and every piece of equipment will only work 
it's best in certain types of dirt in, in, in areas. The dream mat was designed to work in mountain streams. Okay, so what does mountain streams have that other streams don't? High grade, steep grade, lots of flow. And so we got a four foot sluice. That's why the mat's three foot long. If the mat was meant to flow in a slow, flow, uh, flat slope, it'd only be two foot long, so you could plane out your sluice. Okay, so we got plenty of mat, plenty of slope, plenty of flow. And also mountain streams have this uh, type of dirt that is called glacier toil, which means if you were to take a handful of uh, stream sluice material or uh, in the mountains and throw it into the water, it would all settle. There would be no cloud of dirt. It would settle out. So it's it's been washed clean, glacier toil. Otherwise, the leftover cobble from all the stuff that's washed nice and all the dirt and mud is on the banks. And so the stream bed I is see, clean, high pH. I see exactly where you're going. I, yep. I, I, so, I, so you I got this it. material, yeah. that material that flows through the sluice very rapidly and fast and doesn't clog it up. So in developing a dream map was to solve the, how the first dream that came about was to solve my personal problem where I live, where nobody really comes to visit the prospect because it's so bad <clears throat> and hard to catch. But other people have the similar in mountains uh, issue. So high feed rate, a lot of material because there isn't much gold trying to catch the fine gold. And what we have found in our area is it pulls the fine gold out like uh, where I actually prospect, no one else does. It's a club plain called Cherry Creek. Libby Creek up above, you can't buy time on that creek because everybody's on it because that's where the gold's at. And everybody always asks me, why are you down Cherry Creek? There's no gold. And I'm like, I have better days on Cherry Creek than you have on Libby Creek with your equipment. And they're like, why? Well, the equipment works good in that situation. Now, the hope is with the Dream Map that it'll work good in other situations. It'll work in other environments. And we find people that have found a sweet spot and it works good on fine gold. Now, it's really hard, like yourself, maybe, um, to drive, example, uh, to shift the gears differently and drive it differently just for that piece of equipment when you got other pieces of equipment surrounding it that are working at a different level of flow, feed rate type of soil. So the hope is, and that's one of the things I tried to do, is I didn't want to, of course, gimmick anybody, and, and so I offer, which nobody else does, 100% money, satisfaction money back guaranteed. So I hope that everybody that buys a mat, if it doesn't just floor them, they send it back and we try again. But what we found is that there's some areas like Ed and Jesse and a lot of other places where they find the fine gold because they have similar environments and they flow the high flow over it. And, you know, so it works. Um, but it's one of those things where in your environment where you're at now, the mini may do a better job of agitating in less flow, flatter pitch, finer gold, pulls the material in there longer, processes it longer, and still allows for good active exchange, does a better job of pulling out that material. So it's just, nothing's perfect. I do kind of brag up the dream mat. I love the race. So I kind of always challenge people. But I do in a way where at least I say, hey, if you don't love it, if you don't think it's the whiz bang, send it back. Yeah, you know, because what? I think it, it's fun. It's fun. Yeah, I try that, to keep it fun. Yep. I got it. okay. Okay. You, so 
just right at the start of that when you started talking about the, the difference in soil composition and whatnot, it clicked in my head what was going on. It's resonance time. It's got to be resonance time. So uh, what you just said there at the end is that the mini cell is more likely to agitate the material as it goes over the mat, which gives the gold, which essentially gives the gold more time to work its way to the bottom of that mat and then come in contact with those vortexes and get sucked into those cells. The, we're not dealing with, we're not, so, so resonance time from, a, from an industrial mining perspective, for those who don't know, is about basically how long something stays in contact with the other thing. And it comes back right to the start of the chat where we talked about friction. So resonance time in a high bank of hopper is how long the dirt and mud and clay stays in contact with the water jets and your water system. The longer it stays there, the more gold is liberated from mud and clay and the grooves in rocks and things like that so the resonance time there is important for liberation once it's liberated yeah. it goes through a screening process and the oversize is kicked off now the reason we kick the oversize off is so that the tiny itty bitty gold doesn't have to compete with really big dense heavy things like big rocks so it goes down the map it's hard to now, catch flour amongst uh, gold it's hard to catch flour amongst boulders Exactly, exactly that. So then we've got resonance time at the top, then we've screened off so it doesn't have to compete. Now it's in the matting section. Now we design our high bankers with dirt shoots that push the material up the high banker to the very back before it turns around and comes down. Boil box. Is, exactly. So this is the next part of resonance time within your high banker that allows the gold to start settling to the bottom. Because you've got to remember that as the you've got basically three layers in in the water flow and the mud flow that goes down your high bank. The top layer is pretty much water. The next layer is sort of like a slurry, um, and then the bottom's pretty much mud. It's all the heavy, dense things like your ironstone and your black sands and your gold and all that sort of crap. So the more resonance time it has at the top, the more time it has to stratify that material and sink to the bottom. With the big cell dream man, this is all hypothesis for my part, right? My residence time in the top box is good. I know it's good because the rocks come out clean. Like there's no mud on the rocks that come off the backside of the high banker. Usually that's how you know that you're cleaning your rocks properly. Then we know that the screen size is, is pretty decently good because we are filling up those cells with um, ironstone and black sands and whatnot, but it's not clogging the whole mat. It's not like coating the whole mat in this stuff. And it's also not nothing. It's not nothing there that and you can either confirm or deny this i'm assuming that friction within those cells plays a big part in keeping the gold down because you're going to have a protective layer of heavies sitting on top of your gold which when stuff screams over the top of it it's less likely to be knocked out especially if anything like an oversized rock like a flat rock gets through your grizzly bars I would assume in my situation, there just isn't enough resonance time on that matting for that fine gold to come out because we're dealing in highly mineralized, high salt content, mud and clay. That's what we're dealing with all the time. The, a lot of the issues is uh, kites cannot be reached up and grabbed out of the sky. And so we have capture velocity. So yep. your goal is not reaching the bottom of the mat. Now, to slow it down, 
in the the large cell dream mat would cause less agitation in the mat and actually cause less active exchange. So you're not gonna get good recovery if you're too slow. If you're too high, it's gonna get rooster tails and cause problems. Evil Knievel will jump over the ramp. So it's gotta be the right pitch and right flow. The, yeah. the flow that I see you guys running in your boxes in Australia, the mini mat does better because it holds the the material in the cell longer creates a larger agitation and you have less material going over the top water yeah. going over the top of the cells so the the gold and everything drops in a lot of times is what i see in australia a lot of people are screening uh, right on the slick plate of the sluices and the streams the yeah. flow is pretty gentle and they're getting good fine gold and they're getting good big gold because they have strat they have classified broke it down this flow is gentle you got a nice laminar flow going over the, the, the cells and it's like about a three quarters of an inch deep. And so that allows for not a violent process in gold to drop out the kite to drop out of the sky. In a high baker, we usually froth it. And what happens is we don't realize when we pump water, we create velocity. Even though mm -hmm. we drop it in the back of the box and boil, we shoot out. So we create a velocity flow, like a instead of a casual flow out of a hose, that is really big, we are spraying and we're creating yeah. velocity. And, and, and all, the, all the tests that I do with Dream Mat, there are two tests. One, the high banker in the shop, in the research, in the high velocity, and you get different mm -hmm. results. And then the stream with the more moderate lavender flow, and you get different results in each box. And one of the things that we see is that um, uh, one of the big mistakes of fine gold collection is is you dump that fine gold, that test gold, especially, even whether it's wet or whatnot in those high bakers and you're flowing at high velocity, that gold seems to just shoot right out the box. And it seems like when you're running the smaller mats and you're running in a lower flow and you ain't running as much material over the top of that mats or water over the top of the mats, you're getting that gold into the mats. And when the wide, bigger boxes, a lot of times we have too much flow, too much velocity, too much uh, capture velocity, taking the gold out. And, unless you're really pumping a high slurry ratio, which means you're like getting a really uh, dense uh, uh, slog of material going over, you're catching gold, but coincidentally. And then, so your ratio of what's going out over your tailings is probably gonna see some losses because you're not overloading, but you're running at a higher speed, but at least you're gonna catch some gold. There's so many dynamics. And we could talk for like 12 hours of dynamics of gold processing in these boxes in different situations. And what the reality is, and I always think is, first and foremost, beyond all the sciences, it's got to be fun. It's got to be funner mm. than fly fishing or hunting. It's got to be funner than all this stuff, because or else we'd be doing that stuff rather than prospecting. Yep. And then at the top of that, the hope is we have a, a, a map that has, in some situation, has solved the problem of catching finer gold, more gold, because that's the next cold rush. That's where it's at. Everybody wishes mm. they get a big nugget. We all want the big nugget, don't you? I want the big ones. And I got actually my first nugget just a little while ago, believe it or not. My first nugget in Montana, which because we had the small stuff where we're at, not down south. So... The hope is to catch the big gold, but it's all gone. And they, they stole it all. All the greedy suckers from earlier on took all our fine gold, our big gold. So we got the fine stuff left, but we got lots of it. In the second gold rush is that uber fine gold. So we want to develop systems 
if we understand how to run them right and someone shows us and we see it and we it sinks in my head that oh man i'm running the stop sign every time i'm going past the white line or oh i understand how to do the clutch if the gear is and we get that picture in our head on what the sluice is supposed to work like the hope is that this pattern or this dream map helps us catch that fine gold a little better or the hope is a lot better than the other systems or else there's no merit in it but it's really the fun and, and what's nice about the the dream mat what we're seeing with the really fine gold up in alberta in um uh, near edmonton and some other areas where paul jarvis is at and also so over east or ohio when these guys are at where they're used to going out and sometimes getting skunked mm. because they go out and there's just not a lot of gold in these areas and the dream mat is helping people uh catch if they can understand what the mat's supposed to look like when it operates and get a picture if i show enough videos where i get reports especially back from the mini mat you're correct mini mat does great on the fine gold not going to deny that i but love even it the in my mats, banjo pan it works great. and yeah the micro mats the banjo pan yeah but the yeah. mini mat you know but what we're seeing is i'm uh hopefully seeing people that are uh what keeps me going is, you know, a lot of people are like, so, well, how many testimonies do you get back for mats? And it's like almost one for every one. And, and I actually even get a few that people have claimed that it don't work and they want to sell it and all this other stuff. And I go ship it back and they never do. They keep it anyway, but that's cool. But I'm, uh, I'm teasing. But what it is, is it's these kids, the, the, the pocket sluice. Oh my gosh. Dustin is such a, just love the guy. Um, <laughs> He goes, Dave, we need to make this pocket sluice for kids. I go, yeah, you're right, because I was a Boy Scout and all this other stuff. And there, and I'm going to put this challenge out there. Sorry to steal your time, Chris. Not going to take from you, but anybody that's got a Boy Scout troop that goes prospecting, you give me a call. We're going to make it right. Um, yeah, amen. <laughs> I didn't mean to be a, a male chauvinist, but, you know, I am a male, so I probably tend towards that. You know, poor guys, we don't know, understand anything. We don't got no brains. Um, my wife tells me this constantly. So, um, but yeah, you know, to give a kid a sluice, a little sluice, put it in a crick and run dirt over it. And it does a good enough job where it has mini cells hold the gold and material and they get to see some gold in their pan rather than panning. This seems to be pretty hard for a kid. That's so exciting. That's more exciting than anything else out there. And, and that's the hope that correlates to the adults. You know, that kind of activity and turns on the lights and the light bulb and how it works. And, you know, uh, that fine gold revolution, that's what we want, man. We want to see that the people get excited about the fine gold because I don't have any big gold in Montana and I wish I knew where it was in my area. If someone knows, please call me. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, I think this is that's, right. yeah, that's that's exactly what we were talking about at the start. We don't go out, none of us are going out to get rich off gold. None of oh. us have ever done that. It's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen unless you're willing to sink millions of dollars into equipment and run right. industrial plants and do all that sort of crap. We're out there to go out and get a quarter gram and have a good time with mates and then go home and call it a raging success because we found some of that shiny yellow element like that's it and you're right that's why i said to you at the start the the mini cell mat for me is idiot proof 
you can't muck that thing up. It's very hard to muck up. Yeah. And it makes a lot more sense now about the big cell and our tests and where we're going wrong. So we'll go back and we'll revisit them. Yeah, um, so we'll, call some, we'll talk some time on uh, Facebook Messenger. We talk for free. We'll have some fun. We'll maybe get closer to not. I, by the way, I'm kind of on vacation. I'm on a trip to Seattle. So I'm eating Mexican <laughs> food and drinking Coronas. So no, no, that's not so bad. don't mind me. I'm not a raging alcoholic. I'm having two beers. And so that's my big party. They call that breakfast in Australia. <laughs> well, you know what I was telling you, Chris? Like with, with my high banker, I run the speed banker. Now that boils, when I when I shovel into it, the water flow in that is actually going into the back of the box. The boil box, yeah. Oh, like that. Yeah. yeah. And then everything comes out the front. All my big rocks, everything grows right out the front. But I've got... I've got a deep cell V mat underneath the, the crash box here or the boil box where, where everything breaks up and drops down and then it rolls out the front. And uh, I mean, I can't tiny, tiny gold with it. You know, yeah. you know well, I'll revisit it because it makes a lot of sense. There's something I probably skipped over, which was that re resonance time. The resonance time thing is, is really important. And I thought I had it right in the top box, I thought I had it right in the boil box. But looking at it now, I can see the principle that I was missing, which is that velocity is still too fast because of the way that the water's been injected. We'll have to go to that. I, but while I've got everyone here and paying much attention, I have bad news. I have an appointment I have to get to, and I must go. Well, <laughs> a half hour in the overtime. We were supposed to be done at 10. Yeah, Thanks for letting me on the show, guys. I appreciate my let me have an interruption. Yeah, that was good. I'm really glad I got to speak with you because that just opened my eyes yeah, to a few things. Awesome. So that's good. Awesome. <laughs> I mean, I'm excited too. I feel like I'm talking to a celebrity. I'm pretty excited. Yeah. You know, <laughs> right before Jesse said you wanted to come in, I told Nikki, you know, if you come on, we'll be on another hour. And lunch. I'm learning a, a little. I'm learning a little. But, I'm trying. but I, I made an exception for you this time, David, because you're so good to our channel. You're the inventor of the map we've been talking about. So, hey. It, it, Ed and Jesse have been following me from the beginning. And they're like, fam, it's amazing. I mean, it's just so. It's so cool that I, I talk to these guys all the time on Facebook, you know, Messenger. And it's just so cool. And I, I share my days with them all the time. And Ed doesn't respond as much because he works too hard. Jesse, he's retired. He's got more time to give me crap. <laughs> <laughs> At least he's not replying to you uh, via a stone tablet anymore. <laughs> maybe some heavy messages. Messenger pigeon or right now, you know. <laughs> All right, guys. I am literally going to have to go because I've got to. I've got to go. I've got to go. I've got. I've got, I've got no choice. People are waiting. You've, <laughs> you've taken two hours and forty-one minutes of your time, a little more than that, with pre-show. I greatly appreciate you joining us again on Tuesday night hangout live, Chris. It's been a total pleasure. Say hi to Zoe and the rest of the family. I will do. I will do. Thank you very much for having me on. It's been absolutely fantastic. I like I like having these conversations. It was a great podcast that said uh, 
we're going to have the conversation we want to have, not the one you want to hear. And I think we've done that today. Right, right. <laughs> Sorry, Chad. Um, awesome. Chris, thanks again. Yep. Have a great day and see you around. You too, guys. You all be safe out there and um, we'll talk again real soon. Have a great day. Absolutely. Right. I hope to meet him on the river too. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Yeah, it would. Oh, great, great guest tonight. And all of you fabulous people out there, the Flash fam, you're, you're the biggest reason. You are. Yeah. We, we might have great inventors on and great guests like Chris and others. Um, but hey, you guys out there make this my favorite night of the week, I tell you. Um, next week, we're having Bethany, uh, Alaskan relic hunter, Alaska relic hunter, pardon me. It uh, should be a really good show. And the week after that, mark it on your calendars because we can poke fun at our friend Brian from American Gold Prospectors when we have the crew and captain of the wild ranger from discoveries bering sea gold on so that should be a really good show um if you want to hang out in post production a little bit david you know you're always more than welcome everybody out there i hope you have a great great week get out if you can this coming weekend Find some shiny, get some creek therapy. May you always have a flash in your pan. Go ahead, Rose. You're you know what he's going to say next. Yeah, that's right, Rose. <laughs> because it does happen. Ask Rose, ask Otis. It happens. Maybe one day, too. And I hope we do. We'll meet you on the river. Good night, everybody. God bless. Good night, folks. Good evening. Good night. Thank you all very much for joining us tonight. Good night, everybody. Good night, Mr. Lodak. All right, so look out, ladies, when he's on. Good night, Nancy. Good night. Four, three, two, one.